Hey gang, Hydraberg here, Cut Above Horror Review. This week for episode 99, we are covering Stephen King's Silver Bullet from 1985. So get your rockets out, melt down those necklaces, and join us for a howling good time that starts now. Good evening and welcome to A Cut Above Horror Review, a podcast where we review all things horror. I'm your host, Jacqueline, and tonight we'll be discussing Silver Bullet from 1985. But first, let's meet everyone else on the show. First up, a very special surprise welcome to Nicole rejoining us for the first time in far too long. What's up, Nicole? Hey, hey. Uh, I, I've lost count, though. I don't. Is this six, eight. seven, this eight? Eight. eight. <laughs> eight wow killing it yeah i'm pretty sure like bob can't keep up the reigning champion like no he's not even close (laughs) nope nobody's close yeah well what's going on with you nicole how's life uh life has been life's been good life's been good uh you know work is busy as always and um i'm just excited to be back and talk about horror Awesome. This is, uh, I think, a very fitting episode for you to join us for, as it's a Stephen King property. So, um, yes. yeah, perfect, perfect guest today. It was easy. Little, little research was required. <laughs> I, I can imagine. <laughs> Next up, we got Hydraberg. What's going on, Hydraberg? What's going on, guys? Are you feeling the beast within? Yes. <laughs> I'm feeling there's a full moon out tonight. Let the beast out. Can you sing a little song for us to go with it about the pale, uh, pale moon? <laughs> yeah. The, <laughs> there's a hunger that's emotional and I'm feeling it. <laughs> I'm feeling it too, Hydraberg. I like it. And last up, it's John. What's going on, John? There's a bad moon rising. Oh, wrong movie. Oh, Sorry. Nice. <laughs> Hi, guys. Nicole. Big surprise for me. I didn't know you were coming on today. So welcome back. Good to see you again. I know. It was really, it was fun to surprise you guys. Thank you. Awesome. How long are you planning this? Jacqueline, what's going on, guys? Hey. Uh, I planned it after we got off last week. Okay. All right. Yeah. Hyderberg surprised us with our special guest. So I sent out just... a separate email to her so that she wouldn't be included on the email on yours. On your you end. tricky thing. Did you guys know it. someone was coming or did no. you no. not know? No, 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 no. We hadn't no. planned a guest, actually. We were just going to be the three of us. But I'm yeah. like, we got two episodes till 100. You haven't been on in a while. This is Stephen King property. Like it's got you written all over. It's got religious horror in it too. Like we got to get you on. Oh yeah. Well, John, I understand that you have had one or two little minor things happen in the past week or so. Would you like to share those and tell us about them? Well, I'm still on the West coast, but I've moved back to the Pacific Northwest. Um, I have gotten back into radio guys. Oh yeah. yeah. First day was today. So uh, not much to tell. It's uh behind the scenes stuff, but um, I think I'll reveal more as we get more into it, like in the later weeks. But I think we're gonna have another um platform for our podcast to be heard. Wow, that's very exciting. You guys officially have anything, like but you I'm guys officially have a pro on. Oh yeah, well he was already a pro. Yeah, I was he's, gonna say he's always he been always a pro. had the pro. On. I mean, from day one, it's like it's clear how he's so smooth and polished. 
I compared to the, us two idiots who <laughs> don't know what we're doing. I had to take a I'm month off kidding. because I was that smooth and polished, right? Well, well nonetheless, <laughs> you've always been very smooth and polished. Thank you. Um, I appreciate it. It's really good to be back in what I did for 21 plus years. So it's it took two years off and uh, it's really good to be back into it. I'm really excited for you. I mean, it's just like, yeah, me too. it's so nice to see some good things happening for you, a new city to get excited about, a new mm-hmm. a new job, going back into an industry that you are very familiar with. And it's kind of like, yep. kind of like returning home in a way, or is it that is. a stretch? Okay. Yep, absolutely. And we got a cool new poster in my background. I, I love freaking it. love it. I need one. I'm jealous. I need one too. I'll get hint, you one. Hint, hint. <laughs> okay, Meaning, fine. Get us a poster. Damn. <laughs> episode 99 holy shnikes i know 99 damn i can't believe it it's really hard for me to believe actually so this is our last week we will not be doing an episode one i'm kidding what? i'm so kidding whoa I'm kidding. <laughs> scared me that was a horror show yeah my heart just skipped yeah mine too <laughs> I'm like, i couldn't imagine no this is all i got going on right now john don't take this away from me <laughs> same <laughs> In fact, I was just thinking like yesterday, I was like, oh, I, how am I going to make it till Monday? How am I going to make it till Monday? I've been having a rough week at work, like last week. And I'm just like, ah, oh, this is the only thing that's been keeping me going. So yeah, don't take that away from me. <laughs> Never. Nope. We're going to be doing this in like 40 years when we're in our 80s. <gasps> yeah. I mean, I'll you guys have gone through. Going, what? What'd you say? Huh? We're talking about Super Bowl. <laughs> Didn't we do that back in episode 99? You all have gone through all the hard stuff, you know. It would be a shame to quit now. You you got your you got your flow down, and you've got a community growing. Like now would not be the time to quit. No, no. We're covering Roger Corman's hemorrhoids from the deep. Oh my god! Oh god! Oh, let me tell you about my hemorrhoids. (laughs) Oh lord! I oh (laughs) you boys. (laughs) That's going to be the whole episode. Episode nine hundred. We're going to be like what. What are we talking about? Just trying, to hear, just trying to hear each other. What? <laughs> Reach around. I can hardly move. <laughs> Hold on. I haven't been able to reach around in 30 years. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Let's grow up. <laughs> no. No, I know. What's the fun in that? Forget it. Mm-hmm. All right. Yep. Well, uh, Nicole, for... The like odd freak who doesn't know who you are on our show. Would you like to tell them about your uh, podcast and and all the stuff you have going on? Sure. So um, I also have a horror podcast. It's called Light and Shadow. Um, it's not a horror review show normally. Occasionally, I get one in there. Um, but I talk about a range of horror topics from many genres, subgenres. Um, I do the occasional storytelling episode because I do love horror fiction and I love uh, horror storytelling podcasts. So sometimes I do that. Um, right now, uh, my most recent episode was on Midnight Mass and I released that uh, on Good Friday in April. And um, I'm happy to announce that that's going to continue. I'm going to keep doing religion and horror, which is something I've wanted to do for a long time. Um, when I first started the podcast, it was a subject I was really interested in, but you know, it sort of grew organically and went in different directions and that was fine. But, um, I got a really good response to the midnight mass episode. And 
So I think it's a good time to continue that. So um, I'm going back to like regular monthly episodes for the foreseeable wow. future. I have content planned for like literally the next year. Um, awesome. And normally, as you guys know, normally I'm a solo show, but for the religion and horror series, I'm going to have a guest on every single time um, because it's such a big topic. Uh, I think it warrants discussion, not just my perspective. So I'm going to have um, people with all different backgrounds and and uh, coming on and I I put it out to the community, um, you know, it, fellow podcasters, are there films, horror films with religious themes that you want to cover? And so people suggested films to me. So I'm going to bring people on to talk about things that like they're excited to talk about. So um, it's it's moving into like a little bit of a different direction, um, but I'm really excited about it. And I'm happy to have a plan again, because uh, I haven't always been the most consistent over the last couple of years. So anyway... So yeah, uh, good things, good new consistent things happening on Light and Shadow. That is super exciting. I'm really, really, really happy that we're going to get monthly content for the next year or so that you've got planned already. I myself am really interested in the intersection between religion and horror, so I cannot wait to listen and hear the kinds of discussions that you're going to have. So. And I'm sure some, if not all three of you, will be on that guest list at some point. So um, I've got like a rough outline yeah. and I, I haven't sent invites out yet, but just keep an eye out because they're coming. You I mean, will not have to ask me twice. <laughs> like Jacqueline, you said, that's like, there are so many films and TV shows that dive into both religion and horror. Um, and there's there's just like a well of things you can pull from if you wanted to. So yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, that's that's an awesome structure to kind of like build some episodes around. I like that. Definitely, like, I almost feel like there's so much Nicole that you could even like just permanently take that take your show in that direction yeah. if you wanted to. I'm not saying you yeah. should or that you'd want to, but like you could if you wanted to. I feel like you could just do that in perpetuity. Yeah, and I might. I mean, you know, horror podcasting has become a very saturated market. Yeah. Um, I haven't looked into it a ton, but I don't think there's a horror podcast that exclusively covers religion and horror. So if I did that, it, it would definitely be a unique thing. And it's something that's like important to me. Um, it's very personal to me. So uh, I'm going to do it until it's not fresh anymore. And, you know, maybe I'll move on to a different topic and sprinkle in a religious film, you know, when an interesting one comes along, maybe I will do it from now on, but um, I I'm excited about the possibilities. Yeah. Bringing all those guests on too is like, I think that that'll bring so many different um, perspectives to the, uh, the, to the table. People come from different backgrounds and we all bring something different religiously, our, our, our beliefs or how we were raised um, to the table. So I think yeah. that's, well, plus your name, uh, the podcast name just still fits. I feel like light and shadow. Yeah. 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 It, it really, it really does. So I, uh, my first guest next month, we're going to be talking about midsummer and she, um, she's the artist who did my logo, like the hand logo. She's a fantastic illustrator. Um, she's into <clears> some <throat> real weird art. Like I, I love it. And so I'm thinking about seeing if she'll, uh, revamp the cover logo to turn the hand into like a stained glass window. Mm. that would be awesome that is sick yeah. that's pretty yeah. cool so i was like i think the name with like maybe a little bit of a a tweak on that could be really cool so we'll see what that she sounds absolutely perfect yeah take that image and get a stained glass thing made for your house 
Of yeah, the, like a thing that you hang in the, in the window, like a light catcher, whatever you call them. Oh, I would love that. Actually, I already have uh, for, you know, this is this is a visual medium podcasting. <laughs> yeah, uh, I already have like my coaster has an eye on it. Ooh. And then I've got like a couple of hand towels that I bought in Salem that are the hand with the eye. So I've, yes. I've already got the the theme. The theme is kicking in my household. So I would love mm. to add more. That's sweet. Just live and breathe it, baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you for going down this extensive rabbit hole about my show, guys. You're very gracious. <laughs> well, well, but we genuinely love and want to support your show, and we love everything you do. So we'll the show always is support awesome. that. Yeah, we'll yeah. always yeah, support, support that. the hell out of us. Why? Why shouldn't we give give it back? You know? Right. <laughs> oh, thanks, guys. I'm feeling the love. <laughs> no, you're the best, Nicole. John, yep. do you have some new horror news? Yeah, I do have a couple of stories. Um, I didn't know what the hell Five Night at Freddy's was. I guess it was a video game that the kids like playing nowadays. It is. It's becoming a movie. The, the teaser kids came like out. You guys nowadays. watched it. Thoughts? <laughs> Nicole, you saw it, right? Uh, I did. So it's funny that you mentioned that because I didn't know anything about Five Nights at Freddy's until I was at Universal Studios with my family a few years ago. And my cousin, who just graduated, he was like, I don't know. 12 at the time and um he was like oh yeah and he was going on and on about this five nights at freddy's and i was like chaz like what i don't what are you talking about i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> um so i've i've been aware of it because of the kids um but it seems really creepy like i've i've you know heard of it over the years and i thought the trailer looked pretty interesting i mean i feel like anytime there's a property like that that people love that is is creepy for you know non-cinematic reasons when you then try to turn that into a movie i feel like it doesn't always work out but i thought the trailer looked pretty good um with absolutely no attachment to the original property i saw it um i liked it better when it was called willie's wonderland <laughs> that did seemed like a very tame version vibes. of that uh, yeah. what's that it did give some of the same vibes and it's just like okay so this is going to be like a less gory version i don't know what the rating is on this i don't know uh, jacqueline did you see it i don't i i saw the release date i did not see the rating it's odd because it's it's a child's property or, or like a young kid's property yeah as far as a video game goes like a pre you're gonna teenage make a horror movie property. about it it's weird like who are you marketing this towards Seems exactly like maybe a pg-13 Go. is in store then yeah that's what i was thinking um to be it's honest not- though, I know that these 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 games were out before that Willy's Wonderland movie ever came out. And yeah, that's what before I was that, any of those, Chuck E. Cheese was out. And that's the, the main inspiration. And before that, yeah. Showbiz yeah. Pizza was out. Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Showbiz Pizza. Showbiz that's how I know pizza, it. Where a kid can be a kid. Yeah, I grew up with Chuck E. Cheese, but. Yeah, well, that's weird because you're older than me. So I, think I don't know why Chuck-y, I don't remember Showbiz Pizza. I think Showbiz so, Pizza and Chuck E. Cheese were regional. The so regional, I think depending yeah, I on where you live. Because oh, we had no, both. we had it in Southern California. We had both. So okay. I grew up in both. Orlando. And when I like, I remember I had my fifth birthday party at Showbiz Pizza. <laughs> but then like a couple years went by and I think it closed. And then we got a Chuck E. Cheese. Okay, because... Chuck E. Cheese was the character at Showbiz Pizza. Right. Like he was the, so it's the same. It must be the same company and they like rebranded or something. Maybe they just rebranded. But yeah, we had both in Orlando. Okay. Well, in Portsmouth, Arkansas, we had Showbiz Pizza. So I'm so glad I'm not the only one who remembers (laughs) that. (laughs) 
Yeah, that was uh, great. I'm I love that. Curious place. because it's like kind of based off of those those childhood places where you go play mm-hmm. the skee ball things and yes. video games and stuff like I that. Love I wonder if they're going to do that with like you know all the mascots for each restaurant. You know, like Winnie the Pooh, Blooded Honey. I wonder if they're going to have like a Ronald McDonald horror movie. They should. Oh. The I'd I, I, be into that actually. Grimace, Grimace. When you see Grimace. <laughs> Wendy, yes. Wendy's Make mine a double. I'm gonna send you. I'm gonna text you guys a link to a video after we stop this recording. But it relates. I've to seen what you're that saying. video. I've seen that video. It's pretty intense. The rat anthem one. It's the one with Ronald McDonald at the ball at the uh, strip the club. Yeah. Oh no no. Oh, I've seen, <laughs> it's like a Ronald McDonald killing kids at a. Oh like, god. Yeah. Oh, I haven't seen that. And like a uh, yeah, one of those ballparks with like the ball pits and. It was like a Chuck kind of thing. It's not out of the realm that Hollywood would do some shit like that because, you know, they did the Winnie the Pooh. They're coming out with a Bambi. They're coming out with a Peter Pan, for God's sakes, you know? This so, reminds me of, like, the um, the creepy pastas. Like, there's Disney yeah. creepy pastas and stuff like that. Like, just, just go- pay somebody who wrote one of those and turn one of those into a movie instead of, yeah. like, you know, going I off the of the aesthetics- for the trailer looked interesting. I, I, I'll be honest. I'm like not really that interested. But if someone tells me it's a good watch, then I'll check it out. Um, yeah. To be honest, the trailer doesn't really make me want to go watch the movie. It makes me want to yeah. go to Chuck E. Cheese, <laughs> like play some skee ball and eat some pizza. Honestly. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably a. So. It's probably a streamer, not a go to the theater. That's that's what I would say. I wouldn't be so surprised if they do put gonna... it in theaters for at least a week, though. I mean, a lot of these movies, they, yeah, they, they go pretty... there for a week and then they're gone. Well, I mean, personally, for me, I oh, would yeah. wait for it streaming. I wouldn't oh, go yeah. to the theater. To I know it. from the game, it's like it's almost like a roller coaster ride kind of deal where like you're going down a path and then there's like jump scares. And like, mm. so uh, I don't know, to build a whole plot around that seems I mean, I don't know. Like you said, it looks a lot like the Willie's thing where it's like, yeah, he's there to manage the store while they're closed. And then things happen. Bump, you know, mm-hmm. things go bump in the night. Like, I don't Is know. Is that part of the game, though? I don't I don't I don't From know what I've read. Yeah, I've never played them. Mm-hmm. OK, um, I, I mean, yeah, at some so point it's... they have to imp- put you as the player into the game. So, yeah, they could probably use that sort of method of like, hey, you're a guy managing the store at night. Mm. So I, I don't know if there's going to be a theater release, but when I looked it up um, separately, it said that it was planned to be released on Peacock on October 27th. And I saw no mention of a theater release. Now that could change, but yeah. that seems to be the plan for now. So on the I, teaser, I, that's what it said. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, did it say that? Okay. Yeah, and yeah. I, I think we've even covered a couple of movies on this show that were intended to be straight to streaming, but test audiences liked it so much that it kind of got a surprise. Oh, was, yeah, that was it. So I think we've had a couple. So, you, you know, anything could happen in the next, what, six months, They're five months? Positive, but I think Barbarian might have been streaming at first and then it I came out. I think you're up. right. Yeah. yeah. You might be right about that. Also, this is a Blumhouse movie and mm-hmm. they have like that deal with Peacock. So like that's why the Halloween movies came straight to Peacock, but we're also in theaters. So okay. th- this might be that same kind of situation. We're well, like you know Blum may- House. Am I right, John? Oh, my God. It's been a while since we've had that one. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. (laughs) Well, what I was thinking is that if it's Blumhouse, then maybe we could even look forward to a haunted house at Halloween Horror Nights. Oh, now that That would make a sick haunted house. Yeah, that would be cool, actually. Yeah, Yeah. that'd be great. Nicole, come down and go to Halloween Horror Nights with me. Um, Well, I will be in Florida in October, um, probably like the third 
week in October. So I could, I'm coming for work, but maybe I could come a few days early and we could go. I would love that. Nothing would make me happier, literally. All right. It's a date. (laughs) All right. I'm not jealous. We're going to do it. Hyderberg, you're invited too. I'm not jealous at all. John, you're invited too. Yeah. Hop on a flight. flight. Just catch a flight. Get your ass down here. (laughs) Florida awaits you, man. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So what other news do you have, John? Got one more story. Uh, Finally, horror has its own award show. It's called the Chainsaw Awards. It was on, uh, I believe it was streaming on Shudder this past weekend. Give me one guess on who best director was. Rob's on. Ty West. Oh, Hyderberg. Nice one. I did not catch on. I'm, I was smelling what you were cooking, John. Thanks, man. I'm dense. Uh, Jor- Jordan Peele with Nope was best director. Uh, right. Did you guys see, like, see who won some of the awards? I saw nothing. I was counting on you to fill me in. Okay. I saw it all. You did? <gasps> I did. Didn't Straight chill and do a live watch party for that? They they yeah, did, yeah. and I've never joined one of their live watch parties before. And I was, really? like, I was like, I need to do this one of these it's days. So you never fun. joined us yes. with Joe Bob? No, I'm not really a Joe Bob fan. Um, <laughs> so that's part of the reason why I never have. Uh, but yeah, I like I was free, and so I was like, oh, I'm gonna do this. Um, I remember when they used to do the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards and it was like a live award show, like with an audience and everything. And so um, it make definitely makes more sense to do it the way they're doing it now where everything's just like pre-recorded. Um, but I do kind of miss like the excitement of, of the live audience, but yeah, it was, it was fun. I mean, you know, any, I'm a sucker for like a horror documentary, any, anything like that where it's just like nerds and people in the industry, like talking. And uh, so I, I was, you know, I was all in, like it definitely had like it's cheesy moments, but it was still a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. That sounds awesome. So who are some of the big winners besides Jordan Peele? And I know Mia Goth won for Pearl, best right? For best actress. Performance. Best performance. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that they don't separate that by gender. Ter- What's like that? They don't. I like that they don't separate that category by gender. It's just best Mm-mm, acting performance. Not at all. I like that. Uh, best See, limited release pro- was progressive Terrifier once 2. Again. What, what, yeah. Sorry, what did, I was busy talking about. <laughs> best Terrifier limited 2 release was, was Terrifier 2. Yes. As it should be. I and, agree with uh, That picked up like three other awards, including Best Makeup. Best Kill. Yeah. Oh, well, obviously. Came in the Killing only one Allie. for Best Effects. Like, yeah, the girl, the girl in the bedroom. That was Best yeah. Kill. And then... Um, I guess the I, they call it the eyeball award or something like that. The uh, a lead actress got that. Yeah, those are like editor choice awards. They're like smaller awards that go. Um, they're not on the main ballot. Those okay. Yeah, those are the ones that come. Like right, hold on, I, yeah. I'm pulling it up right now. If you guys want to talk, okay. I know that um, Black Phone won like best film or like yeah, um, it won uh, like, best. Yeah, yeah, it won best screenplay and best wide which release. I don't film. agree with. I'll be honest. Me neither. And like, here's the thing: I love Scott Derrickson, and I love C. Robert Cargill. I love Sinister. Like, I, I these two, I'm always pulling for them. But like Black Phone, I was like the win over like Pearl it, guys. Acts, nope, like yeah. just doesn't. Like, I think Black Phone. I think maybe that movie had more mass appeal to people that aren't. Yeah. Big Horror fans. Hits, maybe yeah maybe yeah. that's why it was fine yeah dude i'm bummed out to hear that to be i do think that like but if they everybody gave, has their own opinion if they gave um uh what's his name uh <laughs> mia hulk's dad's fucking is that her name <laughs> mia hulk yeah 
<laughs> oh, Kevin boy. Bacon, right? Am I right? Oh, Kevin yeah. Bacon? Yes, 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 yes. That Ethan Hawke. So Ethan Hawke, yeah, I know it's an inside joke. But if they gave oh, him, oh. I think he was on <laughs> for like one of the best like side performances, like, um, you know, perf- you know supporting like, that I would supporting. support. Yeah, because you know him, his character was interesting. Like yes. I did like his performance yes. in that movie. It was one of the highlights of that film. But uh, for me, no, I voted no. for—I can't remember the actor's name—but he was in um, uh, Bones and All. I voted for that guy. I don't know if Timoth- you guys saw that film. Timothy Chalamet. Yeah, no, no, no. The uh, guy who played like the antagonist in that film. Oh, I haven't seen that movie. Uh, I just know Timothy. It's Chalamet, an interesting film. It? I recommend it. I just watched it like a week ago. Okay. Yeah. Well, dang, now I want to look up the whole list of winners so I can either get happy or get mad or both. Maybe we can you'll, cover you'll it. Both. Yeah, oh, Jacqueline. Jacqueline, I will tell you, several women, lots of women, both presenting and one. Mm-hmm. I was, and not just for acting roles, for all the behind the scenes stuff. So like, that was very exciting. Dude, I'm telling you, horror is fucking leading the way. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's all, there's for the past few years, there's been this constant conversation in Hollywood about lack of representation and the Oscars are so white and the Oscars are so male and where all the way, well, where are they? They're in horror. That's where yeah. they are because yeah. we know what the fuck we're doing. Oh, I mean like horror, like the horror community, the- like we know how to be cool Best first and not feature. be living in like the fifties. <laughs> best first feature, I believe. Uh, the Watcher won for best first feature. Okay, female director. Yes. Yeah. Uh, best man. streaming premiere movie, I believe, was Prey. I voted for Fresh. But oh, Prey I would have a little bit more of a math appeal. I could see because it's a Predator film, and it. I think it surprised people because nobody thought it was going to be good at all, and it actually it had was... no right to be good, but yeah, it was amazing. It is pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. I'm not mad about that, but I do yeah. like fresh. Was Best my international movie today. was Speak No Evil, which I totally fucking do not agree with. I, I picked The Innocence. I thought you were going to say The Sadness. <laughs> yeah. Best series, I believe, was Stranger Things. I I feel like they've had their moment of glory. Like, I don't I voted for Curio- Cabinet Curiosities because I think that was a better. Was The series. Last of Us nominated for that? No, it wasn't. Because I, I heard came, great. It might have came in like, too late for that. Yeah, this was yeah. for 2022, yeah. right? Yeah. So it'd be every, it would be all the things in 2022, mm-hmm. and then they're you know doing the award show. Best documentary, I think, was um, I think the it one, right? Was that the one? Oh, that yeah, won? it was. Yeah, the story of it. Yeah, which which is great. One. I mean, I'm biased, yeah, you, but you told me was that was great. really good, Nicole. Yeah. <laughs> uh, best lead performance, we said already, right? That was Mia Goth. Mm-hmm. Um, she was really good in Pearl, I gotta say. I still haven't but, seen Pearl. Me neither. Yeah, I'm such a delinquent. Really I haven't either. Oh, okay, good. Three of the four of us are delinquents then. Uh, best director was, uh, who was that? That was Jordan Peele, Jordan right? Peele, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he Peele actually, really like, cool. he sent in a video yeah. accepting it. Like, a lot of the bigger people, like Mia Goth didn't send anything in. Stranger Things didn't send anything in. Anybody who's anybody didn't care. But Jordan Peele cared. I believe the, he, uh, was it the menu that won best screenplay? Oh, uh, I don't know. It was it was Black Phone won best screenplay. Really over the menu? Yes. This I. Uh, oh. Wow. Maybe you <laughs> don't want to see the list. A best well, I knew, score, I think, uh, was uh, Halloween Ends with John Carpenter, Corey Car- Cody Carpenter, and uh, Daniel Davies. Okay, I voted, for but that was just me. I listened to a podcast with um, the carpenter jr talking about like kind of revamping the music for the new trilogy and it was actually really interesting and i really dug it that's good yeah that's got to be a huge test to like jump to like take over sort of 
that task of like this is your dad we're talking about and not only are you creating like it's not like you're creating your own thing like brandon cronenberg but like you're literally working with your dad and on his property and kind of taking over or helping out and like that's got to be huge like dad's over your shoulder like yeah you're doing a good job okay (laughs) like yeah i'm sure it would be nerve-wracking but yeah uh i believe best creature effects went to um i think that went to prey Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, I don't know. There was some other smaller ones. Best miniseries. I don't know. Uh, series or miniseries. I don't know. What, I think that went to um, 100, 101 Scariest Moments. I like that one. Yeah. yeah. So I. I'm a sucker for that kind of thing. As I've already I didn't vote for the shorts. Bravo then, oh, yes, sorry, the Bravo one. Yes. The Bravo one. And then you there was there was its own category, which was best Amityville movie, and apparently it was <laughs> like so six funny. Amityville movies that came out last year. That was yeah. Amityville Christmas. Or Amityville right? Christmas Vacation. I thought that was a joke. <laughs> it's not. Amityville Karen, Amityville Scarecrow Two, and Amityville <laughs> Uprising. It was hilarious. I'm, I'm sensing a theme month here, guys. So, oh Amityville Karen. We're Amityville April. April is Amityville month and we're doing oh, all the company bill film yeah god i love I that this all is the bad ones thing. too amityville oh, karen i got i gotta see it yeah apparently she didn't get any dipping sauce with her chicken nuggets and she's fucking pissed <laughs> where's your manager <laughs> <laughs> well guys i'm i'm loving this conversation we but we along. should note that we're still only on news and we got to get into like oh, our shit, show, yeah. so. what you did nicole <laughs> It wasn't her. I I was the one who asked what one of her things, so it was my fault. All right. Well, we are talking about Silver Bullet tonight. This was my pick. Mm-hmm. Why? Well, um, because I've always been quite fond of werewolf movies. It's kind of my favorite um, of like the sort of classic trio of monsters, like the vampire and the um, like the Frankenstein monster and and the. Um, and the werewolf and Stephen King makes a really interesting case in his nonfiction book, Dance Macabre, about the archetype of the werewolf actually springing from Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde yeah. and like the duality of humans and the like the kind of uh, like bestial nature versus our more refined civilized nature that we've evolved to put on. And that's a really interesting topic for me. So um, but there are some like there are some major gaps in my werewolf movie viewing. And actually, Hyderberg, I think it was you like a couple of years ago that we were talking about werewolf movies and you were like, oh, I think um, if you like werewolf movies and you haven't seen these, you should watch Silver Bullet and Dog Soldiers. Yeah, those are two hidden gems that I don't feel like because. It's a smaller there's a, it's a smaller subgenre I feel like that people aren't aware of as much as vampires, zombies and all that other stuff but Yeah. There are a quite a quite amount a good amount of films out there to to pick through but they're not all mm-hmm. well known. I think Silver yeah. Bullet's one of those ones that goes under the radar. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I I hadn't seen it actually and I was like, well this I was seems surprised. like a, th- yeah, this seems, you know, not right. So I thought I would just I was like I need to throw this somewhere on the schedule. So I threw it here and here it is. So that's why I picked it. Yep. So Jacqueline, since you did pick it, does this movie fuck or suck? It fucks. Next. Oh, thank God. I was so worried that she wasn't going to like it. What? I can't fathom why I would. I figured you would. It has all the makings, trappings of a film you would like, but I just don't know sometimes with you. Some once in a while, <laughs> I, 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 do. I I serve you, you up a film out. that I I think this is a certified gold. Jacqueline, she's going to love this film, and she's just I like, shit on hated it. it. There's no void in the void, and I'm just like. <laughs> 
like the void. I did not like it. There was no void. But I can get, I can understand, I I can understand your criticisms with that film though. Once we and there was no pumpkin head and pumpkin head. But there was a silver bullet in the silver bullet. There was, thank God, a silver bullet. I was ready to hate this movie as soon as soon as they made the silver bullet. I was like, okay, it passes. (laughs) Quite dramatic montage fashion. We got a silver bullet. Very dramatic. All right, Nicole, does this movie fuck or suck? Fucks next. Hedgeberg. <laughs> does it uh, fuck real quick? Or does uh, it suck? This, this film is a good fuck, uh, possibly good enough that you won't be able to walk after, and hopefully, you have a cool uncle that can build you a wheelchair. <laughs> nice. Badass one. Nice, yeah. Johnny, does it fuck or does it suck? Uh oh. It fucks next. <laughs> All right. Unanimous. A unanimous fuck. Okay. And next, we have Reverend Lowe. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. Well, John, you want to hit us with a spoiler warning so we can finally, like 45 minutes into this show, get into it? <laughs> Certainly. We're going to be talking about Silver Bullet from 1985 in its entirety. If you have not seen this movie, pause the podcast, go watch it, come back to find out what we thought about it. Yes, do that. Hydraberg, do you have a reach around for us? I do. I have a hairy handed reach around. <laughs> and you know what they say? What do they say? About Harry Palms. Oh, okay. Yes. What? Where are you guys? <laughs> John's John blind. went blind. Oh no. Yeah. Oh my god. All the trappings. Anyway, uh, you guys ready? A small town plagued one fateful summer, terrorized by a feral monster. It rips its victims into shreds. By the moonlight, its terror spreads. A frightened town that's torn apart. Private justice now the thought. A reverend who's opposed to sin. The transformation now begins. As teeth and nails grow much longer, a man of the cloth becomes much stronger. Snout extends and hair it thickens, two siblings scared out of the dickens. Brother and sister must overcome the struggle with the help of an eccentric uncle. As Marty and Jane inquire, the plot gets thicker as Uncle Red drinks his liquor. He comes around and believes their story, creates for Marty a chariot of glory, a wheelchair with a motor to pull it, a werewolf killed by a silver bullet. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It. So good. Let me ask you, is there a point to why it was 1976? Because, well, because the character was telling it like as if, you know, as an earlier chapter of her life. So like at the time the novella came out, it was like, was that the 80s, Nicole? The cycle of the world, early Let me consult. That's the book I had. That's the one I had. Yeah, let me consult the first edition I have here. Actually, it's 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 called Cycle of the Werewolf. It's not a true first edition because those those are hardbacks and they're a million dollars. 1983 is the copyright on this. Have you read this one, Nicole? I have. I have. I did also when I was much younger. Much, much younger. I read it fairly recently, actually. It was one, it's, you don't um, come across this book just every day. You kind of have to search it out. I happened to find it on a shelf somewhere and read it um, over like a vacation over just a few days Um, because it's written like, it was originally supposed to be a calendar, like Stephen King and Bernie Wrightson were going to do this calendar together. And then it morphed into this little graphic novel. So it's a very breezy read. There's a, like a chapter for each month of the year um so it's really neat uh and would be probably it it would be a great read for like a like a preteen yeah it's um, got a cool structure that's when i found it and i found it on a bookshelf randomly in a bookstore like a smaller bookstore and it just like it kind of spoke to me because when i pulled it off the shelf i was like stephen king was sort of 
a name that I had learned from creep show and stuff like that and learning about who he was as a writer and like coming you know into my own as a horror fan and then the fact that the i'm not trying to sound like dumb or anything but the book has illustrations in it as well mm -hmm. so it's a now it's a novella like you said but it's also got some really cool illustrations and i was a big comic book fan and you said uh bernie wrightson who's like mm -hmm. actually a really famous comic book writer uh, i mean uh artist um yeah he co-created swamp thing he also did the artwork for the the creep show movie, like the artwork yeah. on the cover. That's his. He did a lot of those horror comics back in the day, and he has a very distinct, like, artistic style too. And um, they, I don't know. This book just like jumped out at me. Yeah, I feel like Cycle of the Werewolf is to me almost like a companion piece to Creep Show. Like if you if you can have both of those books kind of together, or if you like one, you'll probably like the other. Um, they're a neat little kind of duo. Yeah, the story Nicole is kind of built like a like a story that could be in uh, one of the creep show movies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for real. Nicole, does the, in, in the novella of cycle of the werewolf, does it have that same framing where it's the sister telling the story in retrospect? It it does not. I actually couldn't remember. So I, I looked back in it last night and I think his sister is like mentioned in it, but she's not a main character in, oh. in the book. It's really more the town is really more the main character. And then um, Marty is in some of the chapters like he he's introduced oh. like later into the book. And it it, it parts of it are very similar, like a, yeah. in the town, like you said, like how mm -hmm. the how the attacks are affecting the town, mm -hmm. um, much like in the movie where we do get to see some of that, where there's a hysteria that starts building up over over time because of the attacks and it's like the adults in the town know what's going on but nobody wants to admit it you know they mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They, they know yeah. that there might be there's it's not just a killer like they think there's a monster out there but nobody wants to admit that like there's a fucking monster oh and we see that theme in it as well yes like, everybody yeah. knows but it's yep. just like something that we accept as part of our community so i do like the narration in the film though i think it Mm -hmm. I I, I kind of wish there was more of it. I don't think it's as consistent as it could be, but I do like like how it begins. Like it, you know, this film starts in May, just like the month we're in right now, which is pretty cool, just coincidentally, you know. And then like I just do like Jane's voice too of like how she kind of sets it up, you know. Well, it felt very much like Stand by Me, you know. Yeah. It, it, as, yeah. as the narration on that was really really good to me. But, yeah. you know, like, I agree with you, Hyderabad. I think there could have been a little bit more because it was so yeah. inconsistent throughout. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It is because it's like it's it's given to you in the beginning and at the very end. And there's like one or two parts in yeah. the middle. I think there could have been a little bit more, like you said, Nicole, if they had structured this more like a calendar where they set up month to month for every couple of months, the seasons, at least. You know what I mean? Because this does take place during part of the summer into the fall, it seems. Mm -hmm. Right. It's about yeah. a six month period. Yeah, it ends on Halloween. Yeah, yeah, that's so, right. If so she I had broken it down more. That would have been no good. Yeah, so I completely agree with you, and I think it would have worked well. So one of the minor criticisms I have of this movie is that since it was my first time seeing it, I didn't know what kind of time frame we were going to be working with, and I felt like the movie did not do a great job of indicating the passage of time. And yeah, so all these different murders are happening. And <clears throat> until we got close to the end, I, it felt to me like they were all happening within the span of like a week. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it, it wasn't until later that I realized, oh, this is happening over several mm -hmm. months. Okay. Because yeah. they said something about Halloween. And I was like, oh, so I think that would have been helpful if we could have reintroduced that narration from Jane's character. Like, you know, 
the following month, you know, everybody had just started to get complacent again. And then this, you know, just like to bring us forward in time, just a little bit, like a sentence or two, just well, to and it's catch like us you, up. Yeah. Like you said, Jacqueline, the only mention you get of what time frame it is, is Uncle Red gives uh, Marty the uh, the fireworks. And he says, hey, you could have your 4th of July celebration in September. And then that was it. We, yeah. yeah we jump but that's like immediately after Halloween. he sees that the fair is not happening, which exactly. is like to me, I was like, oh, wait. I, to be honest, like Jacqueline, like you said, when I was rewatching it, I was like, wait, was that fair in July? Was that signifying yeah. 4th of July? And there was no indication that time had passed. It was almost like a, the next day, the uncle was like, oh, you didn't get fireworks yesterday? Here's some fireworks, you know? So, yeah, that would have helped. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, but it wasn't just me. I was like, oh, I'm a dunce. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. I, I do think that would have helped out. If we saw like calendar pages turning or just some indicator, just something. I also think if we had seen maybe Jane as an older woman telling this story to somebody or like if there was an indication that like Marty had passed away and now she's telling the story of her and her brother's relationship, because there's that moment in the end where she's like, I do. I love you, Marty. And it was almost Mm -hmm. like I kind of wish we got to see her and Marty or at least her outside of this story where it was like she's telling the story from years later to someone like a grandchild or just, or whatever. She's on her deathbed and she's just saying it to somebody. I don't know. Like mm-hmm. it would have been interesting to see that. One thing that I think works about that is that I think the fact that Jane is the one telling the story in retrospect, it makes you not feel secure that Marty's going to survive the ordeal. Yeah. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. If you're a first yeah, time that's, viewer, true. that's smart. Mm-hmm. It brings up the possibility definitely. that like, Oh, maybe she's telling this story about how her brother died. Uh, yeah, by the hands years of later. Yeah, because they put and him so, in danger several times. It, it made me worried for him. I was like, oh, his no, uncle I don't puts him in danger at several times. Yeah, he does. Oh, I love this Uncle Red, though. I love Uncle Red. I do love Uncle Red, but he's problematic. But uh, <laughs> definitely, it's the 80s. Uh, well, should we talk about Uncle Red? So I just, just easy. to touch on Uncle Red and just the family. And, like, I, there's a nice family feeling to this film. Yes. Like, I like it. It's It's very heartfelt. Like, it feels warm like you can they automatically build like a little bit of tension between Marty and his sister. But they're siblings like that happens. Right. But like there's no love lost at the end of the day when he it when feels he, normal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When he prays the plays the prank on her and she she falls in the puddle. She's pissed off. She's really upset. But later on, what does he do? He brings her the money at, at night and he says, I just I don't want you to be mad at me. Like, mm-hmm. can I you know, I want to I want to get past this. And like, I just felt for them. I thought there was a good chemistry there. Uh, and I just. Well, I thought the dad really he just played so much of a background yeah, character he much just because he had no interaction with anybody else except the family. It was like, oh, hey, Red, you know, the, there's this like pretty intense scene between Red and the mom. And it was mm-hmm. just like, I don't want you to drink it around Marty. I don't want you to influence him like that, you know, and. Which was totally mm-hmm. reasonable. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I I loved that scene. Yeah, I I really loved that. But John, I get that. Like at some point you think the husband would be there like, Red, I don't approve of this or something. Yeah, get get the hell out of here. Don't talk to my wife. He's a very background character. Yeah, he is. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I also like the small town vibes that we get from this. And I think that's such a calling card of Stephen King. Mm -hmm. And this film does it. Um, Matt friend of the show matt watched this for the first time recently he said the town felt like its own character which i think that's pretty uh, apt yeah yeah i love the like the small town bar you know you have all the regulars in the bar and the like the the bartender yeah and like you've got the the i remember like vividly as a kid i remember that the peacemaker his peacemaker 
bat because of course that comes into play later but um yeah all of that just relationship stuff um they they really managed to accomplish like a lot with just a little just like the scene with red and marty's mom i think that's the only time we really see them interact but like it's all we need like we get everything we need from that scene with them We, we understand their relationship it helps us understand marty and his mom's relationship it helps us understand marty and red's relationship like i really appreciated that scene a lot this time more we get marty uncle red tells marty later too that and i think jane maybe that like me and your mother's relationship was a lot like yours also Mm -hmm. at Mm -hmm. one point and and we still are that way you know what i mean like she is my older sister she's always looking out for me but um no i think that's great too like we get to see like like marty just idolizes uncle red like he loves Uncle Brett. And even Jane, like, kind of, I don't know, she kind of hits him like a lo- below the belt a little bit that one moment where she's pissed off and she criticizes Uncle Red and his divorce and how he's like the black sheep of the family, which he is. He's a but drunk. Yeah. He is a drunk, in a sense. Yeah, he is. Totally is. He's drinking wild turkey, like, right in front of his nephew. It's pretty from the bottle. It's like mm-hmm. pretty bad. Um, but you can still tell that, like, there is a relationship there. He loves his nephew, he loves his oh, niece yeah. too, he loves his family. Yeah. But he feels such a connection to Marty. And I love the fact that, like, he doesn't want Marty to to re- relax on, like, being like, oh, I, all that you are is you're a cripple. Like, no, you're so much more than that. And, like, mm-hmm. that's that is a hurdle you're going to have to get over. But never, never just fucking just give up. You know what I mean? Like, there's so much more to you. And I love that that's one thing he wants to instill in Marty all the time. Did yeah. we ever get an explanation of why Marty was a paraplegic? And, uh, I don't think so. There's never like a Nicole like in the book story or nothing. Uh, I don't know about the book. I, I can't remember. I don't remember. I don't think so. Okay. Uh, because there was actually a really good scene where he's watching the kids play baseball, and yeah. he's just he, he's watching them run. And you know, it was it, it was a really good scene. It was touching, and you okay. can see him sort of like kind of rooting them on, like yeah, go, like use yeah. those legs. You know what I mean? I, I'm not trying to be a dick, like, but that's no, literally no. like what the scene sort of setting up. Yeah, can, no, I oh, think you're kids. absolutely right. Yeah, and he's sort of like, he's not necessarily envious to like, you know, he's not a, he's not being an asshole about it. He's just sort of just like, man, I wish I could run like those kids. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, he's got his cool wheelchair, and mm-hmm. and he's a he's a great kid. He's got some upper body strength though. Can we talk about <laughs> right? when he sneaks out of the fucking house <laughs> and like climbs down the bedroom in the house? Yeah, and he, yeah he's got down oh. the lattice, and he sneaks down the lattice one arm at a time, and mm-hmm. I'm like, and he gets back up there. And he gets back yeah. up there after being chased home by a werewolf. Like, yeah. holy shit. Yeah, the kid he's is- <laughs> totally living his normal kid life regardless. Yeah, you know? yeah. Give he's it not letting him. anything stop him. No, no, I, I love I think, that about him. Me too. I think he's a really charming character and like a, not an annoying kid. You know, like some right. some kid actors, they just really ham it up to the point that they seem more adult than kid like. And that really rubs me the wrong way. But I love how Corey Haim plays this character of Marty. I think it's really endearing. Yeah. Like yeah. when he uh, yeah, like, when good. he takes his when he takes his little girlfriend home, you know, like that part is so sweet. She's like on her bike and like they're just they're just, you know, they're just going home like kids. But even like their conversation and everything is is just really sweet. There's just so many of those little endearing moments in this yeah. movie i think it's she's part like of marty sometimes i wish i was a bird so i could fly far 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 away <laughs> i yeah, was I thinking jenny the same thing yes yeah. totally I was like oh her that. dad her dad seems like jenny's dad get yeah, in the house gonna, and help your mother <laughs> we're gonna start throwing rocks any minute yeah. yeah 
She's going to need some therapy. His death was interesting, though. What, what's the werewolf doing hiding under a greenhouse? Like, what, what, what's the point of that? What are you doing down there? There's lots of, like, bushes and stuff. Like, shrubs. I don't know. It was a cool kill and all, but, like... He gets breaking in the crawl my pots. Space. I mean, I'm gonna bust yeah, your what ass. what are you doing in there? Breaking like, my pots. If it was a chicken coop, at least I'd understand, like, he went in there to, like, eat some chickens or something, but what is he doing in the pottery? Maybe pot- he's eating some berries. Yeah. Maybe, or well, maybe he's a vegan. Basil. He was trying know? to be get a vegan. And he's, he's trying, trying to change to his ways, Hydroberg, yeah. and you're making fun <laughs> like of I'm him. You're not helping. Townsfolk. Part of the problem. Yeah, my bad, bro. He's trying to better himself. So that that does make me want to like venture into like talking about some scenes that were creepy, like some scary scenes. Like maybe we could talk about some of the sure. the kill mm-hmm. scenes some more. Because like I think I do not remember the first time I saw this movie, but I do remember being genuinely scared at several times. But like now as an adult, I'm watching it and I'm like, it's not scary now. And I don't know if it's because because I'm an adult or if it's because I've already been exposed to it. So I'm interested to hear um, for, you know, first timers, like, did you, did you find any moments like scary? So for me, I don't know that I found it. Okay. I'll be honest. Most of the actual werewolf kills I found to be humorous. Yeah. Um, Okay, good. I'm glad you guys are not. So I think it's a budgetary issue. But so I have a lot of trivia about that, actually. Yeah, because he uses a baseball bat a lot of times. And it's like, you're a fucking werewolf, bro. Like, what are you doing? Beat yeah, like, come on, bro. Like, sn- like, tear them apart. Oh, my Wait, hold God. On. Talk about the continuity, because at the beginning of the movie, a pregnant woman, he, he likes he's scratching her to death or whatever. And then yeah, he uses like, a bat later in the movie. <laughs> it's, it was so. So the werewolf kills were not frightening to me. But I will also say, just because I found them humorous didn't mean I didn't love them. Like, I, I just Reverend kind of accepted Lowe. that kind of, it was like almost kind of goofy, but I, I don't think it was intended to be goofy. I think it was no. supposed to be scary, but I still found it really endearing how kind of like not believable it was, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so I, humorous, but lovable. But, I found Reverend Lowe out of makeup to be intimidating. So that's what I was going to say is actually yeah. the the most tense part for me was when Jane discovers all the like zillions of bottles in his garage mm-hmm. and is like, oh, my God. First of all, let me just say, maybe the priest wasn't really like a werewolf. Maybe he was just over caffeinated. There were like 50,000 Pepsi bottles in that garage. Well, he's not drinking those. They're people no. are depositing those to his. I think that was explained yeah. away oh, because really? they were trying to raise yeah, money for, yeah. for charity. Yeah, she's where they're all dumping she's... them in his. Why were they all dumping them in his girl? Well, he's at the oh, he's at the, the church. It's like yeah. the he's at the church. Oh, I thought it was so, his house. Okay, I'm stupid. You're an atheist, so you don't get yeah. that. I mean, but, it yeah, might like, be what's a church. Church people it, like to give back to the. It community. could be like the oh, parsonage where he lives, but like that's where they're collecting all of the bottles. Like she's, drop, okay. she's dropping yeah. them off there. Yeah. That makes more sense. I was like, why is he? But he also brought home his favorite bat, the peacekeeper. Peacemaker, there. <laughs> but anyway, by the so- way, Jacqueline, did you call that the Reverend was actually the werewolf at the beginning of the movie? Oh yeah, or, I wouldn't like hear towards this. the beginning. I I'm didn't. Curious. I didn't call that specifically, but I was. I was suspicious of everyone, like everyone in the whole movie. I was suspicious of the whole time. So I did think of him, but I. I can't like act like I knew it because I was. I do like that they set that up. Like, like a, it's a mystery. Uh, mm-hmm. There was a I moment, even though I've seen it. this film. I've seen this film several times. There was a moment this watch where I forgot. And I was like, wait, are there two werewolves? Was the sheriff one also? Because I was wondering, like, what if the sher- sheriff was like, 
derailing the investigation on purpose because he's one of the werewolves also. Mm. And then when he goes to see the Reverend, I was like, I can't remember. Is there a moment where they're both werewolves and he scolds the Reverend for acting out as the werewolf and like letting the town know that there's some, you know, something Thank going God on. God, that was not the plot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. So true. I did find that scene tense when Jane mm-hmm. did, like is in the garage and she, you know, sees the wound and then he's like right behind her and, and then she's like trying to get the fuck out of there as fast as yeah. she can. So I yeah. that to me was the standout like suspense slash horror scene. I, I did like that scene a lot. And I also like that like that's her breaking point for a moment there where she's like, fucking Marty, you know, I, <laughs> I believed you. And I walked around all day in the hot sun in like the June sun collecting bottles and like nothing. I got nothing. And then all of a sudden she finally when she's about to give mm-hmm. up, she sees the reverend. There yeah, he looking is. at everybody's life. And I like that the Reverend knows that it's her brother, right? That, like mm-hmm. he, he, you know, himself as a as a werewolf, his memories transfer over to when he's a human. I do like that they don't. He's not like seen as a villain at first. There's a moment where you see him as a normal creature, like even mm-hmm. when you yeah. think he yeah. could be the werewolf, like when when the townsfolk want to get their own justice, uh, the private justice. He's running after them like, no, this isn't the way. And I don't feel like it was necessarily because he doesn't want them hunting him. It's almost like he doesn't want the town falling apart. He does care almost about the town. It's an odd. Like you mm-hmm. said, there's a duality. Yeah. yeah. At that point in the story, he's not seen that way. But once we see him. Right. right once right, we right. see Jane find out who he is, then we see the villainy in him. I feel like yeah. that's when it comes through. So, but there is yeah, like that the red duality. herring was his nightmare that he had because everybody else was the werewolf except him and they were attacking yeah. him. I like that scene. Yeah, that's, that's very, that scene um, is so cool. American werewolf yeah. in London sort of. Oh, yeah. hell yeah, man. Vibes to me where it was like, yeah. yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure in the in the book, he's not like a villain. He's much more conflicted because we don't Which, know. Like, we don't know how he turned into a werewolf. And I think also yeah. maybe in the book, he's not sure that it's about him. It book, like, it takes him a little while. Yeah, to, like, figure it out. Like, I'm pretty yeah. sure when he has the dream in the book, he's, like, confused. Like, why did I dream this? Like, he doesn't know for sure. So whenever, like, Marty is stalled out in the covered bridge, which is also a really creepy moment that's a um, great moment and he threatens him i was like oh i was like he's quite evil like <laughs> he's starting to turn a little bit too yeah i was like i thought he was a little more like i remembered him you know specifically being like i can't kill myself like why would you send me this letter about killing myself i can't do that but i didn't remember him being so outright evil as a human so i i do prefer a little bit more of a subtle conflicted uh, Reverend Lowe, um, definitely. At that point in the story, though, like they've pushed him. They've sent him several of these letters, which is like, what did you really think these letters were going to do? Um, yeah, he already knows that it. you are the kid who shot his eye out and he knows mm-hmm. that Jane saw him. So like he, he might have let it go for a while. But there but you sent him three letters like you pushed him to this point where like now, yeah, he's going to try and run you off the road with his car, which I do think <laughs> that bridge scene is really intense. Mm. I did the it, letters I did it were well. fucked up. I, see, and Heidelberg, I'm with you. Is like I haven't seen this movie in so long. I think maybe I was. So this came out in '86. So yeah, I was probably 10 or 11 when I saw it. Yeah. I don't remember the serial killer letters that he sent to the priest yeah, because like that was just. Notes. It sounds weird, like a middle man. school bully, is what it sounds like. That's because that's, exactly that's what they right. say to each other now. Oh, yeah, you kill should yourself. end your life. Yeah. Well, I guess they thought they they were trying to appeal to his 
you know, his his better self and like, dude, like, if you know that this is what you are and you know you're hurting people, like, maybe you should just take yourself out of the equation. And I guess a an 11 year old kid doesn't have better words. And Nicole, yeah, <laughs> I, and Nicole, also- I agree. I agree with that sentiment. It's just the way like the way we see serial killers now of yeah. them clipping out from magazines yes. and putting in, in a letter. It's just like, oof, yeah, that, that's a little rough. So yeah. one thing I do want to talk about, like, probably the scene I think is the scariest is, or the one that bothers me the most, is whenever um, the scene where they find the bloody kite mm-hmm. from, uh, from uh, yeah, kid. yes. And if you guys will indulge me, I would love to read that chapter of the book. Yes. Because Absolutely. it's really good. Okay. All right. She's ready. I'm We're ready. I've light got and shadow it. Here right now. So yeah, you're gonna get some light and shadow. I love so Nicole's the, reading um, voice. I can't wait. This is the April chapter. I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but I'm gonna give you enough of enough of the meat so you understand. Okay. Brady Kincaid, 11 years old, has gotten a vulture for his birthday and has lost all track of time in his pleasure at feeling the kite tug in his hands like a live thing, watching it dip and swoop through the blue sky above the bandstand. He has forgotten about going home for supper. He is unaware that the other kite flyers have left one by one with their box kites and tent kites and aluminum flyers tucked securely under their arms, unaware that he is alone. It is the fading daylight and advancing blue shadows which finally make him realize he has lingered too long. That and the moon just rising over the woods at the edge of the park. For the first time, it is a warm weather moon, bloated and orange instead of a cold white. But Brady doesn't notice this. He is only aware that he has stayed too long. His father is probably going to whoop him and dark is coming. At school, he has laughed at his schoolmates' fanciful tales of the werewolf they say killed the drifter last month, Stella Randolph the month before, Arnie Westrom the month before that. But he doesn't laugh now. As the moon turns April dusk into a bloody furnace glow, the stories seem all too real. A shattering roar suddenly fills the night, and Brady Kincaid screams. He believes now. Yes, he believes now, all right, but it's too late and his scream is lost under that snarling roar that rise in a sudden, chilling howl. The wolf is running toward him, running on two legs, its shaggy pelt painted orange with moonfire, its eyes glaring green lamps, and in one paw, a paw with human fingers and claws where the nails should be, is Brady's vulture kite. It is fluttering madly. Brady turns to run, and dry arms suddenly encircle him. He can smell something like blood and cinnamon, and he is found the next day propped against the war memorial, headless and disemboweled, the vulture kite in one stiffening hand. The kite flutters, as if trying for the sky, as the search party turns away, horrified and sick. It flutters because the breeze has already come up. It flutters as if it knows this will be a good day for kites. How great is that? Stephen (laughs) King is just such a titan, and it kills me when people think of him as just like a trash writer and i think he's a very literary writer yeah i mean he's describing a child's death right there but he's doing it like in an elegant way that is so in a soft way. yeah and so i emotional. thought they played that scene there's an well. artfulness to it too yeah, yeah they obviously don't, they don't... marty's our main character mm-hmm. and the way he walks away and he looks back at his friend 
he looks back like, like you know twice. what's going on or he gets the vibe that something's going to happen but he's so oblivious to what's going on he just wants to fly his kite yeah and, and his, his, his dad, uh, Brady's dad, wh- while while a little overacted, is little still bit. to me like pretty effectful. Like the look, the looks on his face, like when he first finds the kite, and then when he is angry at the bar. Um, yeah, I like him his, in the bar scene. Yeah, even his face in the um in the nightmare scene, like that man has quite quite a face, quite a haunting face. I enjoyed so, him. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was good. I was expecting the character of Andy, though, to shout evil dies tonight at some point. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's yeah. the kind of character he was. He's the potster. He's the like yeah. the uh, the the incendiary sort of fellow. But but then, I mean, if you notice when shit really starts to get real, he's the first one to like run away and dip he out. gets away. Yeah. Typical. That so that scene where they're all hunting is very like, comical. That's where I was going. I don't know if it's meant to be, but like the whole like. Everybody's in, in in single line, bumping into each other like a like in a cartoon. Like, oh my god, they're all holding their rifles and like bumping into one another. And then when the one guy gets his foot caught in the uh, the bear, bear trap, trap. Mm-hmm. the other guy oh, wants to help no. him out, but then gets distracted and, and lets go. And like that old <laughs> gag of like lets it go again. It's kind of very slapsticky. Yeah, yes. it was. Yes, I just thought yeah, there was, it was a ridiculous slapsticky. amount of fog there. It almost felt like an Abbott and Costello amount. movie. Like, have you ever have you guys ever seen like the Abbott and Costello yes. with Frankenstein or any of those? That's um, what it felt, it felt like. Yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. The yeah. fog was crazy. Crazy. Yeah, the fog was like fog. chest high to everybody, and it's just like just enough you can't see. But it's in the fog. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> I expected Marsha Gay Harden to come running out screaming. And, uh, Lawrence, <laughs> Expiation. Lawrence Turney's character uh, gets killed. Who I love. I, I love him. Reservoir Dogs, like he's yes. so good in that. Yes, like that's the one movie I know him from. Me too. Automatically, and then when I saw him in this, I was like, oh, I forget. Like he even had a career before that. Like, you know what I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. What he was an actor? <laughs> yeah, but Tarantino. I realized Terry yeah. O'Quinn was the sheriff. Oh yeah, he the stuff so young. Too, yeah, sheriff. yeah. I like him because he's so conflicted. He's like, very, he's trying his best, but he's yeah. trying to. And he's trying to wrangle in this this crowd of people that want to go out and get vigilante justice, yeah. but like, yeah. what do you tell twenty five people? I mean, well, I think what he do you, also like, knows that he's tell falling the dad? short. Like, he's what do you up tell short. what's his name's dad? Like, he doesn't know what to say. He's broken down yeah. at that. Point. Like, yeah. I don't. He doesn't know what to say to that that guy. Like, yeah, he 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 belittles him, and he's just like, yeah, okay. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I can't find your son's killer. How also, about the look of the wolf? It's okay. It's not the best. Uh, yeah. I like the look of like the nightmare wolves, like transforming. Yes. And some of those yeah. wolves looked really cool, yeah. but the actual wolf itself, it doesn't really do it for me. I'll be honest, like whenever they really show it up close. Um, and I think that's why we get glimpses of it hitting people with a bat instead of mm-hmm. like clawing people to death or biting people to death. Um, What's the point of being a werewolf if you're just going to beat somebody with a baseball bat? Because <laughs> you can hit them really hard with the bat. Yeah. It's a strength. <laughs> The bat is say... going to be Jacqueline's trash bag. There should have been. Bat? You mean it, it's going to be her pumpkin head? Her there should have been. There should have been like a uh, a local baseball team called the Wolves, and like he was. That would be it. funny. <laughs> that would be good. Um, anyway. I did like the I, reverse I did, transformation. Yes, that's what I exactly what I was going to say. Yes. At the end, yeah, that was yeah. better. Yeah, that yeah. was better. Because we yeah. almost always we see. You know, we see the initial transformation at some point, and we never mm-hmm. saw that. But at the end, when he turned back into a human, like I again, because of the sort of 
conflicted nature, I think, of Reverend Lowe. That was it, it was nice that we got to see him turn back into a man. Yeah, him, and it was yeah. done pretty well. I kind of wish he got shot in the heart and not in the other eye, though. Like it was just like a little yeah. redundant to get shot in the second eye. Well, I was real, wondering real in werewolf lore, like would that kill the it werewolf looked- even? I thought they had to get shot in the heart with a silver bullet. Like that's what it, I thought. I thought would it was like two bullets part. to the eye even kill you? Well, one was a silver bullet, so like that I know. Like, like even if it was silver, like is shooting them in the eye with it enough? I mean, I assume it went to his brain. Brain. Yeah. I guess for some reason I always thought it had to be the heart. I mean, vampires yeah. are the heart, but I don't yeah, know about that. I do think lore. I do think so. Like, I do like that they work in the lore of like, um, like the fact that they're like, well, well, classic stuff tells you like, uh, you know, the full moon's got to be out. And they're like, well, what if like he's always this guy? Yeah, he's but just he's most powerful. Longer, toward, yeah. yeah. And so that would kind of lend towards the fact that like maybe Reverend Lowe is more himself on most times during the month. But as the full moon rises, he gets more and more out of control. And so mm-hmm. that's why he gives into his villainy, like his villainous Ooh. side. As, like right. once Marty but- confronts him, he has no, you know, that's why he just gives into it. And that's why he becomes right. like. I got to take you off the board because you're a fucking threat to like Yeah, that my, doesn't necessarily explain my identity. The it, because his first victim too is this, picked because of her sin or like you try to save right. her like Right, but what when he realizes that Marty's the guy that or the kid that shot him in the eye with the firework is that it, it's been 3 days since the full moon rose, which was a little ridiculous cuz the full moon was up for like 3 nights straight and then all of a sudden the next one comes in October, which is fine. You know, every 30 days you get a full moon, but that doesn't explain why he's getting more powerful, more, more evil since the, uh, the full moon's like pretty much gone at that point. Well, he might have a hunger that's emotional, John. You're right. You're right. I mean, I it was the 80s, so. um, also, uh, so the very first, so I think it's interesting that this movie, it's like, one of my favorite things about 80s movies where it feels very like PG and like very like, you know, preteen friendly. But then in the first scene, we get a detap- decapitated like hereditary head, like right yes. out of the gate, right out of the With gate. With ants and everything. With the I, ants. I, did like I was that. like, yeah. I was like, all right. Right off the bat, they give us we that see you. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody thinks you're a genius. We also get some mature bullet. subject matter too, where we get like the pregnant woman in the beginning that Jane yeah. sees. And the guy's like, oh, that's not my baby. That's your bun. It's your oven. It's not my bun. <laughs> yeah. Like, which is like, come on, bro. If you're going to try and even say that point, like, that's the stupidest way to say it. She even yeah, has but, a scene where she's trying to commit suicide. You know? I mean, it's, it's yeah. deep. Yeah. So it in the same deep. in the same movie, we get the slapstick, vigilante, Sorry, ridiculous Jackie. fog. And we also have, you know, decapitated head, poor woman trying to wanting to make commit suicide. Like. Only in the 80s did we get such a mashup of these things. And I think it's one of the things that makes me love this movie. Yeah, and only in the 80s could your alcoholic uncle build you a a fucking a dirt bike wheelchair, tell you to take it out for a test spin without a helmet. On the, the road. The thing does wheelies. With cars. On the road, without your parents' consent, because they're having a barbecue around the corner. And then after, give you a bag of fireworks. <laughs> yeah. I love it. That was a very 80s I thing do love to it. do. It's very That's 80s. Gotta love the 80s. Actions. <laughs> yeah. And the parents are just like, oh, Red, you rascal. <laughs> 
Oh, I thought the funny scene was is like when Marty got back from driving that thing around. He's at the table. He's just laying on the ground. You're like, you gave me a heart attack. It's like you built you, this for him, you dick. No, you didn't even <laughs> give him a helmet. It's a dirt bike with a wheelchair <laughs> exactly. attached to it. Literally, like the first wheelchair was cool. It was like the prototype. It yeah. you know got him around. That was cool. And then the next one was just basically just a fucking dirt bike and yeah. had nitrous to it and everything. <laughs> I yeah. do. Uh, I did really appreciate it. It's kind of cheesy, but it works for me that his wheelchair is called the silver bullet. You yeah, know, I, I think that. it's I was a nice say, I love crossover. That. Yeah, I love that. I don't think Red's it's cheesy. Favorite, I love it. That's yeah. Red's favorite beer uh, brand of beer. So that's why he named it. Yeah. <laughs> Coors Light, the silver bullet. Do yeah, not insert beer right right here. Yeah, yeah. No. Listen, Uncle Red Too doesn't soon. drink beer. He drinks whiskey, breakfast, yeah. lunch and dinner. Wild turkey. Yep. Yeah, I was like, you I know, like he's at he's at church and he's about to hit his flask up. And then he. No, that's not a good. That's not a good. He puts it back <laughs> I, in I do remember that after like, his friend died. Right. Yeah. You're at a, yeah, you're or, at a funeral you, for a child and you're about to to drink from your flask. Drink a little of the save it for later. Go into the restroom and do it. <laughs> and then All he right. tells his mom that it's like, oh, yeah, I'll take I'll take the kid home. Really? Well, because Marty was so down, and he kind of wanted to like I, that. I, I do love. I love his but... attachment to Marty. Yeah, I get it. I get you it. know, and it, like I do love like this is Jane's story in a sense too, but it's also Marty's, and I just love. I kind of love the male to male kind of bonding moment of like uncle to because it seems like Marty's not really getting that from his dad. You know what I mean? Yeah, like his, his dad, dad seems he's good. Present. He's probably a provider and everything, but he's kind of blase. You know, like whatever, blah blah. But like Uncle Marty is like a character, and like. He engages uh, Uncle Marty, Uncle Red, I mean, and he engages in, with Marty. He treats Marty as an equal, um, you know, and I just kind of like that. I, I, I don't know if that's OK, because, you know, he is a child. But at the same time, like Marty is a little bit wiser than his own, you know, his years than most kids his age, probably because of what he's had to deal with in life. And uh, sure. I just think like, I, I don't know, I just like I like the moments with them together when they're playing cards and stuff with the baseball cards and. You know, yeah, Marty, maybe Uncle Red speaks to him a little bit too, frankly, but I, I like it. Like, mom doesn't love it, but Marty loves it. And I don't feel like it's necessarily a bad impression on Marty either. You know, it could be seen that way. I get it. But I think Marty's got a good head on his shoulders. That's why. Yeah, mm -hmm. he seems like he sees things with clear eyes. Like, he knows his uncle's getting divorced yeah. for the third time. Yeah. And he knows that he's, he you know, not always had the best luck. And so I don't think he's, like, trying to emulate everything he does or you know be too influenced by him but i think he likes having um a male figure in his life who yeah. talks to him like a real person and doesn't yeah. treat him like a little kid and you know entrusts him with things and kind of allows him to do some kind of taboo or dangerous things and you know it's like yeah. i think it's kind of a normal rite of passage kind of thing to yeah. have somebody in your life who Definitely. Who is that figure for you? And usually, I would say it's like an aunt or an uncle or a yeah. godmother. Yeah, or something. I love a good aunt and uncle you story. Get that from your parents. Well, like that's yeah. not a parent's role. No, like, we got that has... who Sarah, right? With the the aunt. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. I love a cool who, uncle story. Oh, Sarah, uncle say it right. Oh, Sarah, the bone woman. Marty's got a good balance, you know. He's got a response. He's got responsible parents and a responsible sister. But like, you need you need any person who's going to let you be a little irresponsible you know you you need that person so yeah, that's yeah. that's why we love uncle red even with his faults i do feel like there's a moment in the film it doesn't really touch on it but as the time progresses i do feel like red was starting to battle his alcoholism like because there's a moment where like we just don't see him drinking anymore and 
I feel like he's and and his relationship with his sister does seem like it's it's a little bit smoother mm-hmm. when they're at the yeah. table together. Yeah, when they go to New York in October. Yeah, I mean, it's like, just like she's they, cool with him taking care hug. of the kids, and like yeah. Yeah, you don't see him drinking at that moment. So I feel, feel like that might be a, a moment where he's only been a couple months, but I feel like he might realize that like I need to cut down on the drinking. Yeah, right. well, because he, he does have to step up and be an adult when it yeah. actually comes time to like dispense the werewolf, you know? Yeah. So it. It's we don't really get a lot of it, but I would like to believe that it's like a moment of growth for Uncle Red. Maybe this will help him realize, hey, I do have to be an adult sometimes and put myself second, not first. Yeah. And I, I like agree. the that's probably why he's lost a couple wi- uh, you know, wives, too, because there's that moment in their relationship where they're just like, you're not going to be able to like raise a child. Like, I, I want to have a child with you and you're just yeah. not there or even so, be an adult in this marriage. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, I like that that moment where he has with with Sheriff uh, Haller, um, where Haller's like, "Do you realize what like what you just told me? Like how it sounds?" And he's like, "Yeah, I do. Like I I get it. Like the story I told you just sounds ridiculous, but I believe Marty. Like I believe how Marty feels about it, and I'm going with that. Like, could you at least check out, you know, Reverend Lowe mm-hmm. based on that? And that was enough for for the sheriff to be like, "All right, yeah, I'll check him out." Like. Well, it was smart enough, too, because it's like they didn't go for vigilante justice. They said, hey, Sheriff, there's a problem here. Go check it out. And then. Well, they tried that vigilante justice, but that shit didn't work. Well, that was the bar people. Yeah, several people got dispatched really quickly (laughs) in that fog. I feel like that scene was a total like that the replica that the uh, scene in Halloween kills is like totally a replica of that. A less oh. successful one, yes. Less successful, yes, I agree. <laughs> of the bar scene? Mm-hmm. I think the bar scene works pretty well. There's there's several bar scenes. No, in this we're... movie, it works well. I was saying yes. Halloween Kills, it doesn't work as well. Right. Yeah. I do think Andy's successful. a decent character for, like, stirring the shit. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. He, he has a point, too, sometimes. Like, I understand where he's coming from. You know what I mean? But at the same, at the same time, it's like you kind of got to respect, like, the nature of the law and, like, let them do their thing first before you interject. Yeah. Um, I appreciated that it didn't work out. It did not work out well, yeah, which was a good out. outcome for that. You know, yeah. I feel like he should have kind of gotten his comeuppance that night, though, instead of the like along with Just that running group. away and escaping. Yeah, yeah. I would have liked to see him get his then, because he like, does he even get his at all? I don't think so. I don't think so, right? Yeah, he no, should have got so. Well, Hydroberg, I I do agree with you though to an extent that like you have to give him at least a little credit. Like I respect the man for wanting to keep his community safe. Like he's not just being a jackass. Like people really are getting murdered and he really wants to do something about it. And that's like a brave thing to do. I mean, so I mean, it's a small town thing to understand too, like that these small towns got to stick together because they're very tight knit communities. And then, you know, who else is going to look after them? They're not, it's not a big city. It's not like, they need to look after themselves and like the law enforcement in these kind of towns is normally like one or three people. Like, so it's like very small, especially in the eighties, mm-hmm. you know, or at least in these stories, it's built mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's like, obviously yeah. sheriff, you're not getting it done. Like maybe you should have tried to work with the sheriff a little bit more instead of just like downsizing. them. like, you know, like, Oh, you suck. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he does come off as a little bit of a buffoon, but I think his yeah. intentions are in the right place. Yeah. yeah, he's got some cool mutton chops, though. I'll give I him that. I love a mutton chop. I do. Yeah. Um. Well, guys, we've we've covered a lot of this movie. Do you feel like there are any other major points you want to make, or are you ready to head on to the individual review portion of the program? Yeah, we could review it. I just want to say that the ending was a little ain't meh. 
I mean, it like I loved, I loved the reverse uh, transformation, but it was just like it was so quick, and then it was mm. just like mm. you could have cut some of the fluff in between and made it kind of more of a little more dramatic. I it was anticlimactic for me because okay. it was like bang done. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that well, was it. Yeah, I, I could see that too. I do like that this was a pretty short runtime. I think it's like an hour oh, yeah. and 36 minutes, yep. which is like yep. kind of a perfect length for me. Mm-hmm. It was a, it, it was yeah. a nice like, type 130. I, and, I did actually, I was sort of, I the the end for me is, is just a tiny bit lacking as well. Not so much with the end of the werewolf, um, but I, I actually kind of appreciated that with like these days, how every movie has to be like, big and multi-layered and action 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 i kind of appreciated that it was just there's this monster he kills people we figured out who it is we figured out a solution we ended him and that was just it i was like it's kind of nice to have just a simple story that's a good point nicole Uh, sorry i was just gonna say um that's a good point nicole because right after the the werewolf gets killed just there was a part of my consciousness that was fully expecting like oh, it didn't really work, and now he's back, and we have to do it all again, but try something different. But then I glanced down at, like, the remaining time left, and it was, like, four minutes. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I guess they're just done. They did it. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it was kind of, like, refreshing. On. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Heidelberg. What were you going to say? No, I, I kind of agree with you, John, too. I do feel like the ending is a little bit of a letdown. Um, It's not horrible, but it is a little anticlimactic. Uh, I just think them talking into red into, like, Believing in them and coming up with this this plan to stay up all night. It's cute, but the actual ending itself is just like the werewolf, like he cuts the power, he jumps through the wall and he's shot and it's over. Um, and then the movie, just like a lot of movies from this time, they just end. You know what I mean? Like Jane says, you know, that was and then Marty, I loved Marty. And that was it. And that was like over. <laughs> And that's where I do think like the images of like Jane as an older woman would have been interesting. You know what I mean? You could have added that on to the beginning or the end. I just think that would have been a little, you know, book book ending sort of of the film. I thought Marty had a great line. I don't think I can use my legs or. Yeah, I love that. I I, I was waiting for him to say, I can't feel my legs. Yeah, Yeah, that's it. But something along those lines, I think that was good. And just Um, one thing before we review, like Jacqueline, you touched on it before and it just. It's something that I do think that plays into some of the best werewolf films. I did. Rut row. I can hear you guys. Hydroberg, speak to us. Can you hear me? We'll have to cut this out later. Hello? He's back. You froze up. It says your internet oh, connection is unstable. I don't know why. Okay. So you're going to say, you wanna, we, we can cut this out, but um, you were saying, yeah. like, Jacqueline, there's something you touched on. Oh, yeah. Just earlier about the um, the fact that the duality of like the werewolf um, in general. Like, I think it is an interesting, it's one of the most interesting things about werewolves. I think um, some of the best films touch on it. Uh, I think that's what makes the Wolfman interesting. It's what makes the wolf, the Wolfman and um, the uh, what's it called monster squad. Interesting. You know, the, it's an affliction they're suffering with. They're not always necessarily a bad person. It doesn't make them evil. They could be a good person that was afflicted with this this disease, you know, like lycanthropy. And I think that like Reverend Lowe for a moment there seems like maybe he's one of those kind of stories. But then he kind of goes he delves into the the, the villain side once he's backed into a corner. Um, but there's moments earlier in the film where it seems like maybe he's a decent enough guy, like maybe he's not aware of everything he's doing. I don't know. Maybe not. Um 
that would have been more interesting to me. But I do like that. I think just that aspect of a werewolf, like you said, I could see how that came from that stems from like the Jekyll and Hyde story too, of like, you know, one moment he's trying to do good. He's trying to come up with a serum for good things. And then like that serum turns him into a villain. Um, I just think it's interesting in some of the best werewolf movies where the, the, the antagonist or the protagonist can be the same thing. He could be the same person, you know what I mean? And I think that's interesting. And he doesn't always remember what he does when he's in his beast form or she or whoever is afflicted with this disease. I like to think about it as a disease and not necessarily like they're a monster, like they turn into this monster and it's just an interesting take. And I wish more films touched on it better. There haven't been enough good werewolf films in my opinion. Yeah. So Heidelberg, I'm so glad you said that. That was a major thing I was going to talk about in my individual review, but I might as well now. Um, When Nicole said that in the, in the novella, there's a little bit more like nuance to the character of the priest and how there, he seems more conflicted. And I think that's really key. And that's something that I feel is kind of lacking in this movie adaptation is that you don't really you don't really get to spend time alone with the priest very much like you see him wake up from the nightmare but at that point you don't yet know that that's kind of like foreshadowing the truth but um i completely agree with you um going back to jekyll and hyde and going back to the 1941 wolfman from you know the universal um studios like both of those versions and some other ones but i think those are kind of like the linchpins those portray lycanthropy as like a curse so you were saying an affliction i i think of it as a curse basically the same thing that it's like it just it's something that befalls an innocent person and they have to cope with it with like becoming this like this monstrous side of themselves coming out and and, because don't we all already have that and that's the interesting thing is like we all already have that but these these stories bring that out into like a a a very literal monster form right and like Mm -hmm. aren't we all our own protagonists and antagonists in a way um and so i think that like i think that's the reason that i really like that the werewolf story more than like vampires or zombies or whatever is because it's like in its essence it's absolutely about human nature Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. that's the and that's so i I say this all the time when talking about Stephen King. I am just, I'm a huge fan of Stephen King, have been since I was 12. My favorite stories of his are always the ones about like what human nature is capable of far more than like the cosmic supernatural horrors and like the mm-hmm. cosmic showdown in it and that kind of thing. Like I love those too, but I am most touched by his work that's about the like the monstrosity of human beings. Yeah. Well, and even and, his, so many of his villains are interesting and mm-hmm. there's at least a part of them that is sympathetic because of yes. that, that human nature and that struggle. Yeah, like Annie Will. He's so good at that. He's so mm-hmm. good at that. And he allows us to see the humanity in his villains. And that's so mm-hmm. key. And so I do feel like that's a little bit lacking in this movie. Something that I like in film is like when you get to spend time alone with a character and they're not interacting with others and you see who they are and what they are when nobody's watching. I feel like that's when filmmakers can often really like reveal the true nature of their characters. And we like American Beauty, I think, does that really nicely. This movie doesn't do that so well with the priest. And so I feel like that nuance is lost. I wish it it were more present like you described in the novella nicole 
Um, yeah, we so see, I, I do we see him doing things through other people's eyes, like he's gardening. Right, that's exactly painting, right. But we see it through Gary Busey's eyes. We see it through Marty's eyes and Jane's eyes, not him alone doing these things. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But like we want to believe that he, as a pure human being, would be an altruistic, kind-hearted person because he's a he's a reverend, he's a priest. He, he should be so conflicted. Help people. Yeah. yeah. So I want to I want to see that more. I want to see him struggling with this affliction, yeah. with this curse that has somehow been bestowed upon him. I don't even really need to know how that happens so much. Mm-hmm. But I want to see him struggle with it more. I want to see him want to do good, but mm-hmm. be drawn back over to this monstrous side that he can't even help himself. I want to see him struggle with maybe wanting to kill himself. Right. Um, yeah. Like he attempts it, but can't can't go through with it. Yes. Or a moment in transformation see- where he's like, oh, God, not again. Yes, yes, yes. And so, like, yeah. I think that American Werewolf in London does that. The Howling does that. I, I well, maybe not the Howling, but... um. Like, I want to see him in the aftermath of a murder and being horrified and sickened by what yeah, he's like done. The next day. And so that's that's a, that's the biggest ding for me, actually, in this movie. I Sorry, I meant to say that all in my review, and I, I got carried away yeah. because, Hydraberg, you said it so nicely. Sure. Anyway, are you, guys, <laughs> are you guys ready to yeah, do ready. individual reviews? Okay. Um, go ahead, Jacqueline. It's all you. Okay. Well, there was, like, the most of it. There you go. Um, well, that was like the biggest criticism I had of the movie. Honestly, that was that was really the major ding. Um, the only like small ding I really had is that I don't love the design of the werewolf. Um, and like I said, I have trivia about that. that it's it's a little bit lengthy, so I, I won't say it here. But um, it's like it kind of looks like a big stuffed animal or like a Teddy Ruxpin or something to me. So yeah. it's <laughs> full it's of like, the 80s references today. Um, yeah, it's just a little, it looks like a, like a large animatronic toy that like my kids would have or something. It's just not very, um, impressive, yeah. but, Sounds intimidating. but that's, that's not the hugest thing for me. Um, I think that one of the best things about this movie is something that Stephen King does really well in Hyderberg. You were talking about this before. Um, and I also think this is something that's common in a lot of eighties films is a strong sense of like childhood. And all the little tangents that that involves, like the family relationships and how those feel when you're a child and you're small and you're not in control, um, d- like your relationship with your town and your surroundings when you're a child, your relationship with friends and how like that can sometimes take the place of your family or be more influential to you and your family and like the bonds between, you know, two boys or the bond between a brother and a sister and those are all things that we get to see in this movie. And I think Stephen King, we we talked at length about that and how skillful he is at painting those pictures of small towns, but also of childhood. You know, some of his most enduring stories are about are from like a child's point of view. Yeah. And so I think that that's just a really strong point for him. And I think there's a lot of movies like that in the 80s that were that were really, really good. Um and so that that alone makes this movie really endearing to me. But I'll also say I just love the character of Marty and I love his bravery. I love his, you know, quest to like solve this mystery and he wants to do the right thing. I love the relationship between him and Uncle um Red. I was trying to say Uncle Busey. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's all our Uncle Busey. Yeah, he's everybody's uncle. Uh, I think the character of of Uncle Red is extremely entertaining, but he's not just a clown. Like, I think he's also really 
Um, he's an endearing character as well for all the reasons that we've already discussed. The look of I, fear on his face when the when the it's on the box of some of the films, uh, some of the DVDs. Okay. He's got a shocked look on his face when the werewolf jumps through the wall. I just love it. He's like, (gasps) (laughs) so good. But I I think he was really good in this. I mean, when I first saw that he was one of the main uh, actors in in this film, one of the main cast members, I was like, oh, this is going to be goofy. But it was it turned out to be one of my favorite things about the movie was his portrayal of that character. Um, Nicole, I wanted to say thank you for telling us a little bit about the novella and how it's structured and how it's a little bit different from the the way the movie adaptation turned out. And that to me is particularly interesting because the screenplay for this was written by Stephen King. So he mm-hmm. was adapting his own work. And to me, that's pretty um, remarkable that the structure of the novella is so different. It sounds like it's almost kind of like an anthology. Like it's not always focused on Marty. It's like it mm-hmm. kind of jumps around from, from person to person within the town yeah. and how they're experiencing what's happening. Um, to a much more like focused and single character driven narrative or like not not that the whole narrative is focused around him but that like the perspective is just his Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that's really again it just shows how smart he is that he knows what's going to work better for a film you know a a film with a focused narrative that the jumping around or the anthology kind of style is not going to work for a a single feature film so um impressive to me that he adapted his own work and made some of those changes that to me seemed like they were really effective as compared to how how it was structured in the in the novella um so i overall i just i really loved this movie i mean instantly i can tell that this is going to be like a heavy road like in heavy rotation in in my watching like to me this became an instant classic I, I I am aware that to others it's already been a classic for like 40 years but since it was my first time to me it feels already like an instant classic like an instant favorite um I really loved it I I hate that I have to take any points off or like give it any kind of criticism for the lack of nuance with the werewolf character although I will say I'm glad that we I'm glad that it ended up being the priest or anybody because for a while it I was a little worried that it like it was just going to be a movie with werewolves as monsters but never like reveal their human side because it kind of went on for a long time yeah. and we didn't even really get a hint we didn't even see like an ear transforming you know it's just like wolf 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 so I'm like oh are they just gonna let us see wolves this whole time and never you know explore who it is so I'm I'm glad that that turned out to be the case, but um, I just I thought it was really satisfying. Um, yeah, I I hate to give it any kind of reduction for the like kind of lack of nuance in the the priest character, but I do feel like I need to. So I'm gonna give Silver Bullet from 1985 nine out of ten wolfy priests. Wow! Wow! I loved it. I loved yeah. it. Yeah. So, Very yeah. happy to hear that. Um, Nicole, would you like to go next? Sure. Um, first of all, I'm so glad you loved it. I really you know? did. I um, really did. Like, like Hydroberg said, you, when you love something, especially something that you found as a child, you just, you're not sure how fellow uh, adult horror fans are going to receive it. And so I'm glad that you found the same joy in it that we have. Um, I really did. And so I, I don't remember the first time I saw this movie. It's just, it's one of those, it's always just kind of been with me that I've always just kind of been aware of. Um, and I, I think like 
Hydroberg said, it's sort of an underappreciated gym. And I think that's probably because uh, like American Werewolf in London and the Howling had come out a few years prior. And, you know, those are the ones with like the big name directors and the big flashy special effects. And those are the ones that are regarded as classics. Um, but to be honest, I prefer Silver Bullet to both of those movies. Um, I think Silver Bullet is my favorite werewolf movie. Um, and I'm sure, you know, a lot of that has to do with nostalgia. I think I saw it at just the right time to appreciate uh, some of the the goofier things that it appealed to me as a kid, but it also scared me. So it was kind of that perfect mix. I saw it just at the right time. Um But of course, like we've already said, I just really enjoy the relationships of the characters. I think this movie is cast really well. Um, You know, from the actors we know to the ones we don't know, like they're all really well suited for their roles. And that goes a long way to um, make us believe in this town and these people, even though we don't spend a lot of time with them. As I mentioned earlier, we don't necessarily need to. We get a lot out of a little. Um, And... uh, like Marty and Uncle Red, Reverend Lowe, like I said, the bar, the patrons at the bar. There are all these little pieces that make up this whole that makes Tarker's Mill feel really special and also really familiar at the same time. Um, I also agree with you, like the werewolf makeup isn't the best. Um, and, it, you know, the movie does has it, have some of its silly moments uh, and some of those are due to some of the the werewolf effects. Um, but also some of that stuff adds to its charm. So, uh, it's, it's kind of a conflicting thing to like knock it for that when that's part of what, what makes it like a charming movie. Um, so I think this is a great movie for werewolf fans. I think it's a great movie for King fans and it is a fantastic gateway horror movie. And we love a gateway horror movie. Like we always need more of those. Um, So I clearly love this movie. It's a comfort film for me. Um, And so I am also going to give it nine out of 10 peacemakers. I'm going rogue. (laughs) All right. I like that. I kind of like that. (laughs) Nicole gives it nine out of 10 peacemakers. Solidarity, sister. All right. John, what do you say? Uh, when I first saw this as a kid, I must have been 11, so it was 87. So probably a year after it came out, I probably saw it on HBO or something like that. Um, I really, really disliked this movie because I was so I think I was so jaded by watching other slasher films. And one of my least favorite subgenres, well, two of them are Dracula movies or vampire movies and werewolf movies. Um, watching this again. Nicole, you're absolutely right. There's a charm to this movie that you just enjoy it. You enjoy the entire ride. Yeah, some of the acting is suspect. Uh, I really, really liked the chemistry between uh, Gary Busey's character and Corey Haim's character. I mean, you get the idea of why Corey Haim was like like the top shit like back then. Because, I mean, he, he just had this natural ability of acting that – was really good, but that 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 just added more to the charm. The the relationship between uh, Marty and Jane was was adorable. Um, yeah, the the werewolf uh, uh, special effects sucked until the very end when you saw the reverse transformation, which really grabbed me again. But I think 
rewatching this thing and i'm really really glad i did it does have that charm it is it is a gateway movie that you can pretty much show anybody just understand that there is some gore there that could be questionable i mean even poltergeist has that but um i don't know i <laughs> i had a fun time watching this so i'm gonna give it a i'm gonna give it a seven out of ten wolfy priests is that what it was mm-hmm. okay seven out of ten all right, nice. Seven out of ten from John Hydraberg. What do you say? Uh yeah. So <clears throat> there's a like a, there's a great narrative here. Uh, Jane telling the story of what happened that summer, I think, is great. Um, I think it could have been filled in a little bit better, though, a little bit more consistently. Um, I would have liked more of it. Uh, as I said earlier, too, I think the family dynamic is very um, warm. It adds a warmth to the story that I really think holds up over time. I think this story. Even though it's dated, um, it just it holds up. You can watch it now. Like you said, Gateway, you can have a younger person watch this film and enjoy it. Um, everybody's had a brother or sister that they don't always get along with. Very cool, eccentric uncle or aunt. Um, and we all have family issues, but we put those aside sometimes when, you know, a werewolf comes into town. You know, uh, <laughs> I also like the small town uh, feel. I think that's great. It's part of the story. It plays a central part. Um, we have all these smaller roles that come into play, especially in the bar scene where it feels like the entire fucking town is drinking every night at the end of the day. Uh, yeah, I get it. We're all working class people and we like to fucking have a beer or two, but some of us do it at home, uh, like Red. But yeah, no, um, I'm surprised at all those bar scenes and we never had Red at the bar once, right? That's weird. He was never there in the background. Like having well, he doesn't his- live there. Yeah, he doesn't live there. But it seemed like he was staying with his sister for a while, too. So anyway, but I do love that aspect of it. I love the vigilante justice aspect. I love that that comes into play here because everybody just wants to. We have you're like once the kid dies, that's it. That's that's we went too far. A child died. You know what I mean? And like and then we see his grieving father and like the, the town eventually definitely falls into whatever it, and he's saying at that point, like, yes, we need to all take arms and go after this thing. But unfortunately, they're not they're not well equipped to deal with the situation. They don't know what they're quite dealing with yet. And mm. they don't believe in monsters. And, you know, they find out their own way uh, at some point. Some of them do. I do think there are some pretty cool practical effects. Like we get that severed head in the beginning. Um, they, they, they all look a little you know, dated nowadays. Uh, at the time, I'm sure they felt pretty cool. Um, but yeah, you know, that's also a ding at the same time. I did enjoy Reverend Lowe's character, and I thought Uncle Red was a blast also. I thought un- I thought Reverend Lowe was played, played pretty well. I think there could have been a little bit more nuance, like you said, Jacqueline, to his character. Um, if we spent more time with him alone, or just like develop that character a little bit more. So there's moments of like, I don't know when we finally find out that he is the werewolf. We're sort of like, I don't know. We're just like torn. We're like, no pun intended, but we're like, we're, we're, we're like, oh man, like Reverend Lowe's the the monster. Like fuck, he seems like a decent dude. You know what I mean? I would have liked to see more of that that affliction, him suffering from that, and like dealing with. Maybe he woke up one night, you know, covered in blood, and he's like, oh, "What did I do? What did I do?" Maybe he has the kite in his hand. And he realizes he killed a child like those moments would have serviced the plot better. Um, I do know that, like, you know, the films are pretty crisp uh, pace and 
it moves at a decent pace and it's short enough um and there was budget constraints so i get that i i did say the effects are pretty good but you know they're limited also like so much that like i said our werewolf uses a bat to kill people in moments where like i get him using the bat in the one scene where he takes it from someone but then he uses it later again and it's just like Use your claws and teeth, bro. You're a fucking animal. Like, claw people. <laughs> like, bro, you're a monster. You're, it's, like, it's like Godzilla picking up a, a a bat. And like, come on, bro. Uh, anyway, the ending falls flat for me also. It falls a little flat. Like, I'll be honest. Like, it's anticlimactic. Um, I like the setup of it all, but it just, it they, they rush through the ending too fast. And I just wish there was a little bit more given like give and take push and pull with red and the kids, you know, struggling to survive in the house. It's all set up very quickly and then it just happens and it's over and then fade to black, you know? And I just, it's a little, it's cleaned up a little too clean at the very end for me. That is a gripe I have as an adult. It, it hit as a kid though. I've always liked this film, but I just thought like it's missing a little bit of that bite. You know what I mean? Um, uh-huh. yeah. Like just, there's a moment or two that could have been, I mean, maybe it's because we're trying to get a certain uh, rating, but I just felt like it, it could have had a little bit more bite to it. And like I said, I I enjoyed the narration. I thought that was really good, but I just think it's a little inconsistent at times and just doesn't really add as much to the story as I thought it could. I really like it when it comes into play, but it just, you get it in the beginning, you get it in the end, and then you don't, re- you forget about it for a while. Like I, if Jane had queued in a little bit more, I would have liked that to just have Jane a little bit more here and there, like just give us some more cues about what was going on as the, as the seasons changed. I thought that would have been more interesting and it would kept me uh, gripped more as a, you know, as a full on story. Uh, but other than that, like it's a really cool film. I think it's a hidden gem. Nicole, you had said that uh, I, in a werewolf, in a werewolf genre of like films, like dog soldiers, the howling and like things like uh, where, you know, American Werewolf in London. There's not too many like like great films in that genre that people point at or even think about. I well, think you forgot about the Wolfman genre. remake, Hydroberg. The Wolfman remake I've never seen, actually. I've heard that film has got great like gore and effects and that ties it together, but it's overall like a bad film. I liked that movie and I did See, not. Some understand. people do like that movie. Did not understand things- why people yeah. hated it. Yeah. So I'll be with, honest. Uh, D'Onofrio. Benicio del Toro. That's yeah, who be, I absolutely I'll be quite adore. honest. I've I've never seen the original Wolfman. I have it right here in front of me. Oh, I was going to watch Hedgeberg. it this weekend. Oh, I'm going to watch it. Should have picked that yeah. instead. That's my because favorite. of this film. I want to watch it because oh, I've already Hedgeberg, I already own do. it. So. Yeah, I'm going to watch it. Please do, and then text me immediately. Yeah, it's only like an hour and like nine minutes too. Yeah, so. it's very short. Yeah, but so with all that said, I'm giving Silver Bullet from 1985. I'm going to get a, a 7.5 out of 10 Wolfie Priests or Peacemakers, if you will. And you will. I, I really like this film. I recommend it to everybody if you like werewolf films and you haven't. I feel like a lot of people haven't even seen this film or heard yeah. of it. Um, and so they need to watch it. Mm. But I do recognize that it has some flaws that I think it could have been better. All right. Well, overall, really high ratings from mm-hmm. the gang here. Um, I, I, I do want to say that I was just looking up um, the rating of this movie, it's R-rated, which kind of yeah. surprises me a little bit because it does kind of feel like something you could watch as a gateway horror. Like, you know, you watch um, Goonies and then The Sandlot and then this kind of. I feel like you could, you know, yeah, um, watch those kinds of things. But yeah, so it was an R-rating. But I think, you know, this was a time, I think PG-13 did not exist yet. 
at that time. Well, they dropped a couple of f bombs in it, so and I think the probably gore a little was too kinda, much. For yeah. PG. A little yeah. too much for PG, but I, to be honest with you, I would not have been totally surprised if this had a PG rating. Like you could yeah. get away. There, with so there much is shit. that scene where Uncle Red goes to the nudie bar. Did you, you guys didn't have that in your version? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Uh, well, before we get into trivia, I believe the boys have a little dispute they need to hash out. We did. We started a. Uh, we, we threw down the gauntlet last week of mm-hmm. uh, who is the better Corey. Whether it's Corey Haim or Corey Feldman. Did we get any emails on that? No, no. no. All right. Nobody waited. Corey it's just going to be up to you guys. So Heidelberg yeah. says that Corey Haim's the better Corey. Explain yourself. All right. So Corey Haim is the superior Corey because he's just infinitely cooler than Feldman. Um, he's, he's, I don't know, he's, he's been in some great films. Both have been in some great films. But I feel like Haim is usually cast more as the leading man. Like this film, The Lost Boys, um, License to Drive. He's been in a lot of films where he was like cast more as a the better actor. He's more capable. Uh, Feldman, though, I, is I, Feldman still gets my respect. Um, I, I just feel like Corey Haim oozes that 80s cool. You know what I mean? Um, but if I'm being honest, though, and this is a tough this is tough because when thinking about it, Feldman is in a lot of movies that I also love from Lost Boys also. Stand by me, Friday the 13th, final chapter, which is one of my favorite Friday the 13th. One of my all time favorite childhood films, which I forgot about, The Goonies. I don't know why I took Corey Haim when The Goonies is one of my favorite fucking films. So, in my mind, actually, it's a tie. Uh, we lost Haim early on, and Feldman just isn't exactly getting better with age. Mm-hmm. So, I think when we look at their work as kids and young adults, they both shined for a good while, and they ultimately are more powerful together than they are separated. So that's it's really hard for yeah. It's really hard for me to argue that. However, when you're in a movie icon as iconic as The Goonies, then that's that's my argument right there. Who doesn't? I can't argue with that. I I totally. When I was doing my research, I said, "Bro, what are you doing? The Goonies is your favorite (laughs) fucking film of like all time as a child, and Corey Feldman is such a huge part of that film, and he's great in it too. He's not." I'm curious with Jacqueline and Nicole. What do you guys think? Who was the better Corey? I didn't have to say much. I mean, Heidelberg made my point for me. It is difficult because, like, I've seen Corey Feldman in way more stuff. But I personally prefer Corey Haim. Like, on Lost Boys alone would do it for me. Like, I love him in that movie. And I love him in Silver Bullet. Like, that's enough for me. So... I mean, I love Corey Feldman. I wouldn't like trade Corey Feldman for Corey Haim, you know, like because they also do different things like Corey Feldman does more of the dorky, annoying, you know, like you couldn't just put Corey Haim in Corey Feldman's role in the Goonies like it wouldn't work because they're not exactly the same type. Corey Haim would be the Mikey character in that movie. Yes. Yes. But I do. I, I just. I prefer Corey Haim. I just, I just do. So, and I think like acting wise, like they're very, you know, I don't necessarily think one's like better than the other. Cause again, they're just, they do different things. Well, um, I am very sad that Corey Haim died young and that like, they didn't even like acknowledge it during the obits at the Oscars that year. Like he got totally snubbed. So like all of that makes me like very sad for him as well. So I think I just have like a soft spot for him in my heart. Um, but yeah, I, I, I prefer Corey Haim, I think. 
Well, I, I waffled back and forth quite a bit myself because I would start to talk myself into choosing one over, over the other, and then I would talk myself into choosing the other one. And so I I think that Hyderberg said it best, like they're they're best together. And so yeah. I I yeah. I'll I'll get on that tie bus and call it a tie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, on, the world's better Jarvis off having both of them. Four. <laughs> Have you guys seen Blown Away with Corey Haim and Corey Feldman and Nicole Eggerts? I did see that one. No, I didn't some see good that nudity one. In that one, John. <laughs> I remember <laughs> Dream a Little Dream from I when I was a kid. Did you guys see Dream a Little Dream? I did. Mm-hmm. They're both in that, and I don't know who Feldman the plays. Is, the, the Drive is one of my favorite films back in the day. Yeah, mm-hmm. Meredith Slollinger and yeah, the two Corys are in it. License to Drive, starring Corey Haim. Where that was a great movie too. Yeah. yeah, John, the girl in that movie is Meredith Salinger. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I mean that that was like a an iconic movie for. And me he pulls off some childhood. dope Michael Jackson moves. <laughs> well, yeah. That, so that was one of my. Gr- I was going to bring that up if I had to really like go against Corey Feldman was like his. Have you ever seen his music? His music videos. No. See, that's why I didn't bring it up. I just said he had some cool moves in that movie. It's cringy. <laughs> but I, I wasn't. I wasn't attacking the man as an adult. I'm more no, about his no. childhood. Nor should you. Yeah, exactly. Like it's not fair. Music but sucks, see, Corey Haim's not alive anymore. To we don't know what Corey Haim would be up to as an adult. As a you know. So. Yeah. Yeah. But I think oh. the world's better off with both of them rather than separate. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. 100%. yeah. We tied. Well, that was the least contentious Corey off I could have imagined. It's a clash of a century. I was expecting more of a knockdown drag out. Jacqueline, it's very tough. You know, it's just like they were like connected at the hip back in the day and they put out some gems as far as movies. I mean, they're in a lot of the the same movies that we like. That was good. Yeah. They're in Lost Boys. Yeah. Together. I mean, my only argument would be freaking the Goonies, but that's a good argument. Well, my then my argument would be Stand By Me. Mm, Stand so. By Me. Corey Feldman yeah. is... That's Corey um, Feldman. Yeah. Two of my favorite movies growing up. Yeah. Have you guys covered Lost Boys yet? No. no. And The Lost Boys is one of my favorite films also. God, yeah, Lost Boys is a Lost Boys is an all timer for me. So uh, one of my favorite when you guys films. get to that, please. All right. So please. we're just going to pen it in right now. Yeah. Just mark I don't it know. Down. Change one of my picks. I'll pick it. <laughs> I love that movie. I do too. Spoilers. <laughs> oh no! Well, now we might as well not it's do that gonna episode. Fuck. Yeah. That movie. Fuck. <laughs> Sorry, we're saying it right now. We're proclaiming. Like a groovy um, grandpa who's still in the game. That movie fucks. That's God. awesome. <laughs> cool. Would you guys like a little trivia? Sure. Sure. Yeah. All right. Um. So, according to director Daniel Atias, Gary Busey ad-libbed a great deal of his lines, hmm. uh, which is pretty impressive, I think. Um, for instance, when he's in the gun shop trying to buy the, you know, trying to get the silver bullet made, um, Atias checked with Stephen King, who okayed the ad libbing. So I got Uncle Stevie. I meant to uh, touch on that of- scene too. It was in my notes. That was approval. It was a cool scene. The the bullet making. I like yeah. the whole like, the kids giving their necklaces up to have it made. And then Nicole, didn't you mention something about a wonderful montage in it? Yeah, it was a. It was, it was great. It was a great and dramatic Jan's, montage. Yeah, and Jan, older Jan, speaks on. Like he wasn't just a armor. He wasn't just a gunsmith. He was a master craftsman. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I loved his line. He's like, this this is the best one I've ever created. And and like I said, as an adult, he knows what Gary Busey is going to use it for. He says, exactly. Or to kill a werewolf. 
Yeah. And Gary Busey no. looks at him like, what are you talking about? And he's like, I don't know what you're saying. Yeah, it's just a, it's a memento <laughs> kind of deal. And he's like, yeah, okay, bro. <laughs> the werewolf dream sequence utilized a total of 70 extras that were divided up into four groups with various levels of makeup and costume. So these ranged from approximately 10 principal actors used for close-ups and action shots, having the most refined looks, while the remainders were just made to appear menacing and fill up the rest of the church to give it a full house appearance. So, it looked like cool. It. Yeah, it I did look cool. It worked. Mm-hmm. Complete construction of the werewolf costume took three months. After finalization of the shape and design, and I'll talk more about the design momentarily, using three-dimensional clay heads, the entire costume was made of foam and polyurethane and was covered with actual bear hair. The head of the costume was mechanically operated by six people from a distance of up to 30 feet away. So it's a little remote control I do feel like there. you could tell, like, they tried. It just it just mm-hmm. doesn't quite hit the well, aesthetic that I'm looking for with the way. Yeah. So there's a specific intention behind the design which i'll get to uh the film had a budget of seven million dollars so not huge but not minuscule Mm. it initially made four million dollars upon its release but it eventually earned over 12 million at the box office so it made up its costs and then some so that's good um the fireworks on the bridge scenes were filmed on two separate occasions months apart after principal photography was completed in the fall of 84 they discovered a continuity problem the wide shots and close-ups of Marty lighting the fireworks didn't match. So they returned four months later to redo these scenes. But by then, due to seasons changing, much of the foliage and trees had lost their leaves. So they had to go to great pains in the close pickup shots to not show the different foliage in the background. So there's a lot of like close-in stuff. Wow. Interesting. Um, Don Coscarelli was the original director beloved director yeah. of oh, Phantasm, Phantasm and Bubba Hotep. Uh, but he left over creative differences with Dino De Laurentiis, who was the producer, whom you probably recognize from such films as Halloween 2 and 3, Death Wish, and a bunch of other like really famous stuff. Mm-hmm. So That's good old Dino. Also, Dino, uh, Dino's a longtime Stephen King collaborator. Dino's always trying to get those Stephen King properties out. But yeah, I do wonder what, what a more visionary director... Yeah. So he was the uh, executive producer of Conan the Barbarian, Amityville 2, The Dead Zone, Firestarter, Dune, Cat's Eye, Year of the Dragon, uh, Maximum Overdrive. He was also Mm -hmm. an executive producer on um, many of the Hannibal Lecter properties, you know, based on the Thomas Harris book. So Mm -hmm. he did Manhunter, which is amazing. Uh, Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Hannibal, Red Dragon, Hannibal Rising. Uh, Blue Velvet. Wow. Yep. Sometimes they come back. There's your Stephen Mm -hmm. King. Army of Darkness. Oh. Yeah. So just tons and tons of stuff. Um, Anyway, so creative differences between Dino De Laurentiis and Don Coscarelli. But yeah, that's kind of an interesting what if. Like, what would this movie have been like if it had been directed by Coscarelli? So that's that happened. The Reverend would have been like, boy. Um, Jennifer Connelly. <laughs> Jennifer Connelly uh, was considered for the character of Jane, but she was already oh, busy wow. in Italy working on Dario Argento's Phenomena, ah, which is also a 1985. Crazy yeah, interesting, interesting casting there, but kind of a, a nice surprise. Um, so Joe Wright, the actor who played Brady, died in 2009 at the age of 39, and then the next year was when Corey Haim passed away at age 38. Oh, so that's an unhappy. Coincidence. Yeah. yeah. 
Here's a fun possibility. John Candy was originally considered to play Uncle Red. Oh, oh I mentioned Uncle Buck before. Awesome. Yes, I and I had That's the exact cool same thought. Yep. Yeah, so, he would have been great as well. Yep. He would have been awesome. Because when you think cool uncles, those Uncle are Uncle Buck, obviously. Uncle Buck. Uncle Red and Uncle Buck. Yep. I wonder if Corey Feldman was up for the part of Marty. <laughs> Interesting. Well, I don't know. Maybe actually. Uh, some fun Gary Busey information. I found this amusing. At a personal appearance in North Hollywood in 1999, Gary Busey discussed his experiences in making this film, including doing all of his own stunts. In the film's ending, where he is thrown around his own the alcohol. room. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, so you know that scene? He gets like thrown against like a, a, a cabinet. Yeah. Case yeah. Like yeah. Two, yeah. two or three Shattering times. Glass. Yeah. yeah, you get launched like three times. Yeah, so um, Busey said this was achieved by having him off camera run and then jump onto an air compressed catapult, which would then launch him through the air and into various pieces of breakaway furniture. He sustained an actual injury in the part where he lands into the mirror due to the artificial glass. This is evidenced in the film where a piece is seen embedded into his arm, which is he looks at his arm in the scene, like and and that's so that's real, and he falls to the ground. He went on to say that his reaction of the werewolf breaking through the wall was genuine as there was no rehearsal of that scene and it was done in a single take. So that, that scary was one of his face was real. That was mm-hmm. so funny because he goes like this. Whoa. <laughs> He's like the Kool-Aid man, Kool-Aid man came through the wall. Yeah. <laughs> but, okay. I do think that scene plays a little bit funny to me because the times that we've seen the werewolf he's torn apart anybody that he comes in contact with. But this one moment, he picks up a young girl by her head and can't kill her right away. Like, Gary Busey has enough time to, like, club him. And then, like, it was just like, all right, like, you're filled in this small room with these people and you couldn't slaughter this whole family. You would have in real life, but, you know, for the sake of the movie. Yeah. All right, so here is the explanation around the werewolf design. Stephen King specifically asked that the werewolf be plain and hard to see in contrast to the hulking monsters seen in other werewolf films and books in the early to mid eighties with the end result being a creature, which looked more like a black bear than anything else and did not really have any identifying characteristics after seeing Carlo Rombaldi's design per King's request producer Dino De Laurentiis was very unhappy and demanded a change, which both King and Rambaldi refused. When pressured to either cancel the film or accept the design, De Laurentiis relented and allowed filming to continue with Rombaldi's werewolf suit. A modern dance actor was hired to perform the stunts inside the suit specifically for his like specific kind of movements, like body movements. But De Laurentiis was also unhappy with his performance and demanded a change. So as a result, Everett McGill, who plays um, Reverend Lowe in human form, wound up acting most of the scenes in the werewolf suit and was credited wow. with a dual role. Interesting. So that's, that's usually him. I can't tell where the proper decision was made because I do think the look of the werewolf is a little, eh. but also, uh, what what would the what did the performance look like though when the other guy had mm-hmm. you know control of the the costume? Maybe it looked better when somebody else was, you know, doing it. I don't know. It's interesting. Maybe. I, I really don't. I mean, I that's, mind that movements. may be something that we'll never know. My favorite parts of this film when the werewolf's on screen are the POV shots, but I thought were interesting because we don't see that a lot in monster mm-hmm. films, like the POV of like the monster stalking. I kind of like that. Like when, when Marty's on the bridge and we're not, we're seeing mm-hmm. glimpses mm-hmm. of the werewolf. Yeah. We haven't, we haven't quite seen the werewolf like 
well, we saw him. We we did see him when the pregnant woman gets killed. Um, but other than that, we haven't seen him for a while. And like we get to see like just these POV shots of him stalking Marty, and I kind of like that. Yeah. Also, okay, I I know we're going long, but I just I have it's to fun. share this this last one because um, I thought it was so hilarious. Um, so not overall like not amazing reviews. Um, at the time this film came out, uh, the New York Times said that the werewolf looks less le- less like a wolf than Smokey Bear with a terrible hangover, which I thought was funny. Wow. And then Variety wrote, Silver Bullet is a Stephen King filmette from his scriptette from his novelette, which may sell some tickets. Oh, my God. Tickets. But not, but not without regrets. And I'm sorry. I just I thought that was hilarious. Um, this was written back then. Back then. Yes. And he also it sounds said, like something that someone would write nowadays and try and was, be like. No, I, I'm pretty sure it was from back then. Yeah. And that, that review ends up with, unfortunately, there's no known power that will stop films like this. Oh, Damn. Wow. It's a little harsh, man. Well, bet. So anyway. But I, by Roger Ebert. No, he gave it, I think, three out of four stars. Oh. Yeah. That's he came through on that one. <laughs> so that's all I got for trivia, y'all. And that's Silver Bullet. Excellent. Yeah. Hello. We did it. Woohoo. <laughs> yeah. Good Nicole, pick, Jacqueline. Thank you. I'm mm-hmm. glad I picked it. It's Same. so I have a like a, a tendency to want to pick films that I already know and love because I want to talk about them. Yeah. But yeah, sometimes okay. I try to push myself into like, okay, no, use this opportunity to try out some things that you've been wanting to watch and haven't done yet. So this was one of those times. But um Hydraberg, I'm glad that you brought it up to me a couple of years ago. And Nicole Hydraberg was right that you were absolutely the perfect guest host to have on for this particular discussion. So I'm really glad you can make it. You know, yeah, I have an eye for these invite. things. Yeah. He knows. Hyderberg knows. I should be like a talent scout or something like that. <laughs> you're a great connector. Nicole, you're going places. I could tell. <laughs> well, we already knew that. We didn't need you to tell us that. I know. That's send, a joke. Send yeah. over send over the pitch. Send over the contract yeah. and I'll let you know. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, so that's it for Silver Bullet. Next week is a very... Special week for us. Yes. Hydraberg, yeah. it's your pick. Do you want to tell the people what's up for next week? So next week is my pick, and it's episode 100. Sure is. Yeah, we're turning 100, guys. <laughs> we're turning one. And we're ringing yes, in we it. Are. We're going to ring it in punk rock style with 2015's Green Room with special Ooh. guest Tyler Nightmare of the <laughs> punk band Warplot and also of the podcast Punks at the Cinema and Tyler Nightmare's Late Night Horror Show. Ooh. He's a friend he's of a ours. Busy guy. Slack. Yep. That's exciting. It's a great movie. I can't wait to listen to the episode, guys. It is a great People. movie. I just watched it today and took my notes already for it. So Oh, you are ahead of the just game. Just gotta write a reach around. Yeah, I, I we got a lot of I'm a busy dude in the next week or two, so I need to <laughs> get ahead of the schedule. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, and so folks listening, this is your last chance. We'll also have uh, kind of a special uh, portion of our 100th episode celebration where we'll be answering any questions that you may have, doing some kind of reminiscing about the past 50 episodes or so. Um, So this is your last opportunity. If you have any questions for us or just any comments or well wishes or any criticisms for why you think we suck whatever you want to say to us write in or why you think we're awesome well that's uh, you know i said both 
Why um, do you think Jacqueline and Hyderberg are awesome? <laughs> no. Why Nicole should replace me on the show? Uh, write in or find us never. Musketeer. Or find us on social media. You can email us at a cut above horror review at gmail.com. We've already gotten some amazing messages with comments, tributes, um, questions um, for us that I can't wait to answer. Just, I mean, all kinds of treasures and goodies that I don't want to reveal just yet. But um, yeah, a cut above horror review at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at cut above horror. Uh, you can catch us and take a bite out of us on Instagram at a cut above one word dot horror underscore review. And Nicole, where, they, where can they the find you? McGruff. <laughs> take a bite out of crime. Sorry. Take a bite out of crime. Uh, <laughs> you can find me um, at light and shadow pod on Instagram and Facebook. Um, you can find the show on all your favorite podcatchers. You can find us on Facebook. A cut above colon horror review. And don't forget to give those ratings and reviews on iTunes and Spotify. Give Nicole for Light and Shadow Podcast the the five star yeah. ratings. Same with oh, us, yeah. a cut above. So we appreciate you in uh one hundred. We did it, boys and girls. Well, haven't done it yet. <laughs> well, we're going to do it, boys and girls. We will do it. Yes, we will. Uh, so, yep, everybody watch Green Room so you can be caught up with us and not have to pause the podcast during the spoiler warning. Go watch Green Room. Do we know where that's streaming? It's on HBO Max right now. Awesome. HBO Max. So Green Room is right there. So go watch that and join us next week for Green Room with Tyler Nightmare. And you may also uh, be able to have some little celebratory programming with us next week as well. I won't say too much about that, but all I can say is be there, be square. And keep it creepy. Ooh.